the running back market is broken. It, 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 is, it is different than any other position in the NFL. And that is a massive issue that the NFL has to fix. They're going to have to sit down as a group and understand or try to fix how they change what is going on with the running back market. Because what you're going to ha- see is there's not going to be a lot of young kids that play running back anymore because it's not really worth what their future could be. Oh, what's going on? I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Man, uh, Dan Orlovsky. Breaking it down. I love how serious he is, Jimmy. It is broken. It's broken. There's no super glue. There's no, what is it? Is it gorilla glue? Ever? Yeah. There's no gorilla glue that can fix this broken market. Very serious, that Dan Orlovsky. But listen, man, he's right. We've talked about the market here, and we have further evidence. So yesterday, Jimmy, we had the deadline for players that received the franchise tag to work out a long-term extension with their team and you had three big name running backs all in line for long-term extensions: Saquon Barkley with the Giants Josh Jacobs with the Raiders Tony Pollard with the Cowboys all three did not get long-term extensions 0 for 3 on that one it's not something that is insanely uncommon I guess to see two big names than Tony Pollard a rising star in the league be in that same conversation, but Adam Schefter pointed it out that the last time deals around this price point for tags were signed by running backs was all the way back in 2021 with Nick Chubb. So, I mean, it it varies based on where we're at within these different classes of running backs, but this is yet another example of big names that will draw attention to an issue that I believe there's some middle ground to it, but right now all the running backs feel like that no one cares about them and that they should quit football or abandon the sport altogether or go back in time and change positions. Well, and that's the thing is there was a tweet yesterday from Matt Miller. So he covers the draft uh, very closely and he's sort of like the new Mel Kiper Jr. and Todd McShay, right? Like I guess now going forward for ESPN, but He put out a tweet where he wrote, been saying it for years, number one, draft a running back, two, play the running back, if he's good, three, franchise tag the running back one time, and then, number one, draft a running back. So it's just like repeat the cycle over and over again. Draft a running back, get the the best out of him, and then move on, pivot and draft another guy. So Colts running back Jonathan Taylor He was one of the many running backs responding specifically to that tweet. So his response was, one, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Two, if you work hard enough, you'll succeed. If you succeed, three, you boost the organization. And then, doesn't matter, you're a running back. (laughs) It's a great response by JT right there. I mean, first, yes, you're right. I mean, it's eloquent it follows the same pattern and it hits the nail on the head of how all running backs are feeling I mean he's not wrong in that it all depends on the age that you're at and for JT he's actually still in a strong position where I think he could get an extension done a multi-year extension done how much money is that going to be I think is where the biggest issue is and we don't have all the details leaked for maybe we never will of what Saquon was actually offered if there was anything actually offered or if everybody just sat down on their respective side and said there's the tag take it or leave 
But for Jonathan Taylor, like, I, I think there's still a good chance he could get a multi-year extension. But what is fair value for him in his mind? And what does the league actually say his fair value is? We talked about it yesterday with John Glennon. Like, it, If you're giving Jonathan Taylor $12.5 million a year for three years, that's Derrick Henry's average of annual evaluation there on his salary, or, that's probably stomachable. But if you want to go higher than that, you are going into the Alvin Kamara range or the Christian McCaffrey range, 15 or 16 million a year. And while we lectured yesterday on how those deals don't really make a lot of sense anymore in today's NFL, those are also two running backs that also catch the football. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where his lane's going to be. Like, is this going to be, oh, the Colts going to offer him $12 million or match what Derrick Henry got, a comparable back to him? And he's not going to be happy with it because he wants to reset the market. Well, that's the thing, man, is when you're seeing this is that was yesterday was awful for Jonathan Taylor because he's one of these running backs who's the next guy up. And when Saquon doesn't get a long term extension, Josh Jacobs, who led the league in rushing, had over 2000 yards from scrimmage last year. He doesn't get an extension. Tony Pollard with the Cowboys. No Ezekiel Elliott over there. Right now, now you got Tony Pollard. He's the guy. He, he doesn't get a long-term extension. That's terrible. That's awful for Jonathan Taylor, who's trying to get his money as well. So, I mean, I get it. I totally see it from the running back's point of view. And there were other running backs who chimed in. Derrick Henry, the Titans running back, his response caught my attention because he was, again, that original tweet from Matt Miller. That was like one draft a running back, play the guy, franchise tag him one time, then draft another running back, right? Like that's the yeah. tweet. And so Derrick Henry responded. He quote tweeted it and wrote, at this point, just take the running back position out of the game. The ones that want to be great and work as hard as they can to give their all to an organization just seems like it doesn't even matter. I'm with every running back that's fighting to get what they deserve. Austin Eckler, the Chargers running back, He also, quote, tweeted the same thing from Matt Miller. So Austin Eckler wrote, this is the kind of trash that has artificially devalued one of the most important positions in the game. Everyone knows it's tough to win without a top running back, and yet they act like we are discardable widgets. I support any running back doing whatever it takes to get his bag. Discardable widgets. It's a good one. Jimmy, that... (laughs) I like it. Now, some of the arguments go too far. I'm with running backs getting paid more than they are. I think the market is ridiculous. The market doesn't mimic the value that a lot of these guys bring to their teams. Right? Like, if you talk about Austin Eckler, he had 18 touchdowns last year. It led the entire NFL. Right? Like, he had 107 catches. That's a big part of their offense. Mm-hmm. And he's not being paid accordingly so. So I'm with them getting more money that matches up with their value. But to say it's tough to win without a top running back, that's a bad argument. That's not true. Yeah, (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, don't make a bad argument. Just make a good argument because, like, you've got all this ammunition right in front of us. It's like, break it down percentage-wise. I was this percentage of the offense last season, and I'm making this much money. 
like, I don't know, percentage of the salary cap. Break it down like that. But don't tell me it's tough to win without a top running back. Many teams win without a top running back. The stat we've highlighted again over the last couple of months is of the last 14 Super Bowl winners, the salary, the running, the leading rusher on that team was making, the running back in that case, was $2.5 million or less. Teams are finding ways to be efficient at that position and still be able to win big games. And it's not to say that running backs and the ability to you know run the ball in January and run the ball in cold weather like does doesn't say it doesn't matter anymore but the days of it being the sole way to win and the only way to win by paying massive amounts of money to solidify a top back just isn't here anymore I mean you see so often and I know some people don't like to talk about this because no one cares about fantasy teams but just broad strokes on this how often do we hear about teams taking a by committee approach I mean that's more modern NFL instead of having one workhorse back and that's why I push back when people want to say oh well, look at all the money that a second or third string wide receivers making well that's not a position group that's doing things by committee there's different routes that are run there's different options that are in the flow of your own offense there's different situations where you want utilize those wide receivers and for running backs I'm not say not to say it's all the same like there's obviously different schematics involved for how you want to attack in the backfield but you see third down backs or you see short yardage backs and you have teams very so often do it by committee that's also less financially taxing on them and in terms of the difference that's made as long as they're still good players which most backs in the NFL range from good to your greats Obviously, you have some poor ones like any position group, but if they're good enough, by committee, you'll still get the results you want. Well, and there was sort of along those same lines, there was a tweet from Christian McCaffrey, the 49ers running back. I'm curious what you think about this. He wrote, as far as Saquon and Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard not getting long-term extensions, he wrote, this is criminal. Three of the best players in the entire league, regardless of position. Now, he's right. These are three of the best players in the entire league, regardless of position. But I don't think you can throw that out of the equation, Jimmy. And it's a little bit of what you're talking about right there. If you can do it by committee, and there's less wear and tear, there's just some advantages. Like, you don't have to pay this bell cow running back top dollar if you can divide it up. And, right? So, if you're talking about three of the best players in the league, regardless of position, yeah, that's true. But if you have to prioritize other positions that teams have deemed more important quarterback corner edge rusher you know left tackle you go down the list it's like well there's a ripple effect and there's a reason why three of the best players in the entire league who happen to be running backs aren't getting broken off they're not making huge money that's the way it goes the other thing is that for Jonathan Taylor again I've outlined it and you've discussed it as well with where the team is from a salary cap standpoint There's no reason that he should fall victim to the same things that plagued Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, assuming, again, he does not overprice himself or his agent doesn't overprice himself. For instance, I'm sorry, I'm not going to spend 17, 18 million dollars a year on a back just to reset the market. Now, if Jonathan Taylor has like a if it's clear as day that Jonathan Taylor is the only reason this Colts offense functions this year, which again would be very damning towards Anthony Richardson and where the growth would be. That's a scenario where the growth didn't go the way you wanted to in the rookie year to say that Jonathan Taylor is the only reason the offense flows. If that's it and he has a career year, another year like he had in 2021 where he leads the league in almost every category, okay, maybe there's some more leverage there. 
Regrettably, the Colts are probably going to tag him. But, I mean, that's he's proven himself that he's worthy of a big contract. The Josh Jacobs issue of it all, like, I honestly thought the Raiders would be the Raiders and once again probably throw a ton of money at a position that they really didn't need and figure out a way to make it work. In this instance, they couldn't Raider because they already Raidered in different positions where they Raidered, which is to say they're paying Jimmy Garoppolo or he's getting a cap hit of $23 million. Devontae Adams is making $14 million. Max Crosby, $12 million. Probably the only player from that list that confidently deserves that. And Josh Jacobs is getting $10 million on a tag because they're paying Hunter Renfro $13 million. They don't have the money to go splurge on their back, so they instead say, hey, here's the tag. Welcome back to the Las Vegas Raiders. Like They're not in a team where they can splurge. If the Raiders would have been able to do that, I'm sure they would have because Jacobs is about Jonathan Taylor's age, and he's a good back. They're a bad example in any running back argument because their team is so mismanaged they didn't have the money to overspend on a position like that. Well, and that's where we come back to two completely different perspectives. And I understand that these running backs are only looking at the situation from their perspective. Right. They're, they're looking at it, how it affects them. But if you look at it from the team's perspective, if the team doesn't have to overspend for a running back, it, it would make no sense to do so. You know, I mean, like, do you go to the car dealership and say, hey, this Nissan Altima that's $35,000, I'd rather pay (laughs) $100,000. No team is going to just, out of the goodness of their heart, reset the market and give a running back way more than they need to. (laughs) That's just the reality of the situation. And I would liken it to job cuts. If you've ever been caught up in a work reduction or you've been fired because of that, you only look at it from your point of view. I've been caught up in that. It happened way back in 2009. I was in Fresno, California, Jimmy. I was in Fresno. I go to work like any other day, and I saw two of my friends there, and their eyes were as big as golf balls when I walked in. And I walked over. I was like, what's up? And they go, the samurai sword is bloody. I was (laughs) like, what does that mean? (laughs) They were just letting people go. They were chopping heads. And I'm like, well, I might be one of them. Sure enough, I was. I walked into work, and I threw a couple of things in a box, and I walked out, and that's the last time I was there in that building. And it was on Inauguration Day. I'll never forget. It was when Barack Obama was inaugurated, and they did it on that day because obviously they didn't want a whole lot of headlines and attention. And, And so I looked at it just from my perspective for a long time. Like, man, that was dirty. And to do it on that day was even dirtier. I'm only looking at it from my point of view, my point of view. If I look at it from the employer's point of view, like reducing cost might have made the most sense. To release the news that day definitely made a lot of sense. So I think you get caught up in these things and only look at it from your point of view. I understand every gripe from all of these running backs. And I largely side with them. They should be getting more money than they're getting. They shouldn't be getting quarterback money or like defensive end money, but they should be getting more than they're getting. But the disconnect is they're just looking at it from their perspective instead of the team's perspective. Or like Eckler, we had sound of him yesterday. It was more of like a 95-5 split. Like it's 95% looking at it from his perspective, and then there's 5% of, yeah, I get it from what the teams are doing, but more so about me, 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 right? Like you're just looking at it from how it affects you instead of 
how it relates to the team. You're caught up in what's the best for your situation instead of what's the best for the overall business. And with Eckler, he's one of those examples where he does it on both ends of the offense, right? He's able to be a reliable tailback, but also is a great pass catcher. And at the time when he signed his deal, again, I know the market was a little bit different, but yeah, you look at it now and six million a year for a dual threat running back and it's the what 13th, 14th or 15th highest running back paid in the league. Yeah, that's a little head scratching and frustrating for a guy like him. But when you go up from there, the tag that Saquon Barkley signed was $10 million and change for this season and that Josh Jacobs is on that Tony Pollard is on or I guess pen hasn't been put to paper, but what they're going to have to sign if they want to play is that tag of about 10 million. For a guy like Jonathan Taylor, cap increases every year. Let's say for the sake of argument, it's $12 million next year on the tag if we get to that point for Jonathan Taylor. $12 million flat. Derrick Henry, who at the time, again, I, I felt like that it was a very rich contract that the Titans had doled out for him, and I don't know that I would have done it myself, but hey, he's your best player. You do what you got to do. He's 29 years old. He's a free agent next year. $12.5 million is his salary this year. And that is, again, a closer running back to Jonathan Taylor. He's not in the same class in terms of what he does, like full-scale offense. Not that he's not a great running back, but he doesn't impact the game the same way that Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey does. What is Jonathan Taylor going to want? What did Saquon Barkley want? Because from where the market is right now, whether the market's right or wrong, mm-hmm. I agree with you. It falls quickly, right? Like you have those top names, and then all of a sudden you're in to – Kickers right. and punters like salary. Like, I, right. I, I get it. It falls quickly. So maybe there needs to be an increase in the middle. But for the top-end guys, what does Jonathan Taylor want? Because if it's well, if it's $15 million or if Saquon Barkley wanted $15 million, you don't do what Alvin Kamara does. Why am I paying you that? Well, there are reports that Saquon wanted in the neighborhood of $22 million <laughs> guaranteed over the next two years, okay, which is not outlandish. I, guaranteed I can get around with, but I'm... Again, I, what I want to know, which we don't know yet, is what did he want per year? Like guaranteed, I that doesn't bother me as much as much as it does. What am I paying against right. the cap every season? Well, the guaranteed part comes from he wanted as much money as what the franchise tag would be. The value of that, he wanted that to be guaranteed. The, this is reportedly sure, right? Like, so if he's going to get tagged this year, it's right at ten million dollars. It increase a little bit next year. So he wanted. $22 million guaranteed over the next two years. To your point, where it went from there, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but he wanted that in stone. And the Giants said, yeah, we're good. We're good on that. And Man, it's like, here's the thing, Jimmy, is what's working against the running backs? Uh, you know, you're a big metalhead. You would know this Lamb oh, of yeah, God yeah, song, yes. right? Mm-hmm. There's a Lamb of God song. The only they... Lamb of God I know is the one that's followed by you take away the sins of the world there, Brian, to go back to our Catholic <laughs> roots. But please continue. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> that is good Catholic thank, humor thank right you. I there. Very I know it is. I know it is. Very niche. There you go. go Nicely ahead. played. But uh, there's a Lamb of God song where they they yell and, and hauntingly just say at times, it's only getting worse. And that's how I feel the running back market is. Because you think about the rookie salary cap that was that began in 2011. That was the Cam Newton draft. We've had the rookie salary cap in place. Or uh, it's not salary cap. It's a, uh, a slotted, right? Like, there's, there's another word for it. It's just a... Allotment? 
No, there's something else, but it, it's a it, it, it's just it basically is a rookie cap, but it's named something else. Sorry, my mind's not firing all right. at all it's cylinders, okay. right? But anyway, the, the rookie wage scale—that's what mm-hmm. it's called, the rookie wage scale. So that started in 2011. That hurts running backs, okay? Because they're under. If you're a first rounder, you're under control. Take Saquon Barkley. So he's capped. He can't make. All this crazy money. If you're a number two overall pick, you could go back in the hot tub time machine. There are some guys drafted very highly. They're making more money percentage wise. You know, you have to, you know, do the inflation type thing, right? But, but you're making more money. If you go back to Sam Bradford in 2010, that was the last time before the rookie wage scale. He's making like 50 mil. Like Matthew Stafford's making a ton of money the year before. Those are quarterbacks. But if you're a top running back with no rookie wage scale, you're making more money. Now you can't. And so Saquon, he's as a first-round guy, he's under control for five years if they pick up that fifth-year option. Then you can get franchise tagged, which has just happened, Right. So you're under control for that long. Meanwhile, you're inching closer and closer to 30, and then no one wants to pay you. Like the rookie wage scale absolutely screwed running backs. Then you also have Ezekiel Elliott. He signed a six-year, $90 million contract extension. Dallas did not make out like bandits on that deal. That hurts the running back market. And there's also Le'Veon Bell. We talked about this, Jimmy. He sat out the entire 2018 season. Then he came back, played for the Jets, He started 19 games over the next two years after he sat out an entire season. Then he was a journeyman. He was with the Chiefs, Ravens, Tampa, and adios muchachos out of the league. So that's the thing. If it had landed differently, if Ezekiel Elliott just crushed it, and Dallas was like, man, we had a bargain on this six-year, $90 million deal. That helps the market. If Le'Veon sat out all of 2018 and Pittsburgh went like 4-12 and at the time, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, Le'Veon came back, and he's the rushing champion. And he's just crushing it. That helps the running back market. But each of those instances, the rookie wage scale, Zeke, Le'Veon, it hurts, hurts, hurts the running back market, and it's only getting worse. It's not getting better anytime soon. I mean, the only resolution you could think of is to modify in some capacity the next CBA, the rookie wage scale, to a point that maybe it's positionally evaluated instead of just being a broad strokes policy but then what I would worry would happen is how the league would respond if they still have this same evaluation on running backs is okay well then those terms are based if I'm not mistaken on where you're selected in the draft and you already don't see first round running backs selected anyway maybe then you see them fall further in drafts and yeah. then they're right back to square one so then your other thought is okay well maybe we're we're modifying the way the tag works or perhaps we're modifying the the structure of salaries but at the end of the day for running backs it's just like and it's hard because there's so many positions in football what I want to say is it's just like the old way of playing center in basketball it's no Mm. longer reflected as this dominant must-have position anymore the salaries don't equate to football though because you only have so many players that play and the NBA is sometimes operating with monopoly money because of the fact that their rosters are significantly smaller but the point remains that as the league changes and this isn't just like overnight this has happened over the last five to ten years where Okay, you bring up the Ezekiel Elliott payment thing. The biggest fear for any position, but but particularly running back, narrative or not, whether it was a narrative or not, this is what happened to Ezekiel Elliott. 
And you can say if it's causation or correlation, but it's what happened, and that's what the owners now look at are deals like this where you pay the running back big money because he's a game changer, and then regression happens. And that's the biggest fear with that Mm. position is why would I take a big swing on a position group that, yes, it matters, but with the flow of my offense, if I have my quarterback locked up and I have my receivers locked up, why would I then go ahead and splurge on a running back when that's not what makes my offense stir? And, And that's with so many of these examples the boat that running backs are in. The Steelers didn't need to pay Le'Veon Bell in 2018 because whether the NFL pundits believed it or not, the Steelers believed internally they were still a Super Bowl contending team. They still had Ben Roethlisberger just before he really hit a cliff and fell off, and they still had a high-level offense with Antonio Brown out there. Like that, that was who the Steelers were. They didn't see the point in paying Le'Veon Bell. The Giants, I mean, Daniel Jones' contract still is head-scratching to me, but they paid their money elsewhere they're not going to spend on Saquon and with Josh Jacobs it's the same thing and for Tony Pollard I'm sorry the guy that preceded you burnt the Cowboys they're not going to be like let's try this again and see if it works out the only good thing for Taylor is he doesn't have that bad blood internally with the franchise and he's younger but it all comes back to how much money he actually wants well, the Le'Veon Bell, that's the other layer, is he was such a good pass-catching mm-hmm. running back, and they still didn't break him off when, when they had a squad back at the time. And, and that's the, the last thing I'll say for right now is that's what doesn't make sense. Some people might not see it the same way, but the way I see it, it doesn't make sense for a team like the Giants to draft Saquon Barkley number two overall if they're not going to extend him. I know he's been banged up. You know, he's had two seasons where he had a lot of injuries, but he was back to his his peak form last season. He's had two really good seasons, like his rookie year and last season. And so if you're going to draft him number two overall and not extend him, to me it's like buying this high-end sports car and then just like never changing the oil, never (laughs) washing it. Like why would you invest that much money and then not take care of it? So it's not like Saquon has been a bust. He's been far from a bust. And so you draft him number two overall, and then you don't extend him. They, like It doesn't make sense. Either don't draft him number two and don't extend him. I get that. It's just like, uh, you know, this is a running back for now. We're going to go do the same thing in two, three years from now. Okay, fine. That makes sense. But if you go premium pick and then don't extend him, that doesn't add up to me at all. Well, and I think that's another element that's working against running backs which is if you get injured in the way Saquon did that spooks the front office further fair or not like you you do running backs are up against it to a point where you have to play efficient you have to play valuable you have to play in a sense near perfect health and then sometimes it's still not enough depending on the trajectory of the franchise yeah all right we got a lot to do here Jimbo we've got Jesse Rogers around the corner he covers the Cubs and the White Sox we got the trade deadline around the corner <laughs> I had to laugh as a Cubs hater. I saw a stat this morning. Jimmy, the Washington Nationals, four straight wins against the Cubs. <laughs> Not good when the natties are just smacking you around, you know. But, I, you know, I, I want to go to that with the, uh, the trade deadline. These teams have been very, uh, uh, very disappointing. Who are they maybe getting uh, rid of? And then think about this also, Jimmy. I want to get this from Jesse Rogers. Think about Shohei Otani. The Angels don't want to trade him to their crosstown rivals, the Dodgers. Imagine if Otani were with the Cubs 
and, and th- they could get the best deal from the White Sox or vice versa, would they be willing to make that deal? Because there's, there's a conversation to be had right there. We'll talk to Jesse Rogers, see what he thinks right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Jesse Rogers. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for ESPN. I want to start on a happy note, Jesse, but when we're talking White Sox and Cubs, I just saw a stat this morning where the uh, the Nationals have won four straight against the Cubs. And I'm like, man, that that, that really hits home. <laughs> that hit, it hits home that they won four straight. Who has been the more disappointing team between the White Sox and Cubs this season? I mean, I guess you could say it's close, but I, I'd still say it's the White Sox. I mean, this is a team that's you know, 15 games under 500 in a worse division than the NL Central. I mean, the NL Central wasn't great to start the season, but certainly Milwaukee and Cincinnati have proven to be better than anything in the AL Central right now. And the White Sox to be that far out of first place, that far below 500, is just kind of shocking with a team that's supposed to be uh, finishing off uh, uh, you know, the rebuild and being competitive and all these things. So, yeah, it's the White Sox, definitely. The Cubs were, were never going to be a World Series contender. I think they were an 80-win team just to, to, to go back to March and look at the, the, the squad on paper, and they're slightly underachieving. I actually think, let's say they don't make any trades, they could probably still end up being an 80-win 80, 80 team. Now, when they sell some players, that's a different story. So, um, they're not that far from what I thought they'd be and what Vegas thought they'd be, while the White Sox are complete and utter disappointment. So I, I would I would put them above the Cubs. Jesse, you mentioned that rebuild that the White Sox have been on. I, I remember being back in Chicago in 2018, and a lot of the local coverage when that rebuild was was still churning along was, in a couple years, the White Sox are going to be really good. They feel like that they're going to take these leaps and, and be a real contender and Season after season, they haven't really hit those expectations the way they wanted to, and it's at its lowest point right now. I know we don't have time to go into all of that because there's much more nuance to it than just one thing, but why haven't they been able to take those steps year after year with this particular core? Yeah, you're right. There's a lot more nuance to it. I, I would point to two things. Um, one is, is more obvious, and that's just not necessarily finishing off the rebuild with the free agent signing or two that puts you over the top. Like, they just stopped short of doing that. But that's to contend for the World Series. Just to contend in the division is a whole other story. And you're right, back in 18 and 19, all of us, and me included, were like, oh, it looks good. But you know what? That's because we look at prospect rankings and talk to scouts, and, and we're not diving into the players the way the front office should be doing. And what I'm getting at is, what they failed to, to really realize is they didn't have a team of go-getters, a team of we're going to win or else. We're going we're, we're gonna to do this, and you're going to come along for the ride with us. It, 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 you, you can't look into a guy's uh, heart if you're just a, prog- a prognosticator, but that's, a, that's the job of a team, and they got it wrong. They got it wrong with players handing them money before they did anything in the majors, and then hoping and crossing their fingers that they'd be those guys. And they got it wrong with certain players that haven't really progressed to the point of, of um, you know, being peak versions of themselves. So I think there's some things there that are sort of um, hard to define back in 18 or 19, but as you look back at it, you realize, okay, you know what? This guy is injury prone. This guy doesn't have a motor. This guy doesn't have this. This guy. They're, they're, they're just 
short on some things that maybe you couldn't see early on, but it's a, the job of a team to see it. And when you rebuild, you're you're betting on all this stuff. You're you're gambling on all of it. And when it doesn't work out, it should probably cost you your job. And for some reason, it hasn't with Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams just yet. So, yeah, like I said, it's more nuanced. It's, it, it is a deeper conversation. But the bottom line is they invested in the wrong players. That's the bottom line. Why they're the wrong players, we could go on and on about it. But I, I highlighted a few of those things. He's Jesse Rogers, covers the White Sox and the Cubs for ESPN, joining us here on The Fan Jesse, who are some of the biggest names that could be on the move at the deadline from the White Sox and the Cubs? Well, there's no doubt Cody Bellinger and Marcus Stroman are at the top of the list for the Cubs. I mean, you can get a lot for both those guys. I I suggest packaging them together because the Cubs lack star power. And um, on their major league team or in in their farm system, they need star power. And how do you get it? Well, maybe you could trade for the next – stud player if you if you package them both left-handed slug is is incredibly valuable um in at the deadline uh starting pitching is as well i think you know the yankees should go after both those guys i mean the yankees should back up the truck for cody bellinger they've been on a search for left-handed power for for three or four years um and they need a starter as well i mean i but i don't even know if they have enough to give the cubs to get those guys but yeah those two are at the top of the list there i think mark Leiter jr there's a couple relievers in there that will be gone as well. On the White Sox, it really is about Lucas Giolito, whose contract is up. Kendall Graveman, Lance Lynn as well. Um, he's pitching himself into being traded. Those are the biggest names. If Liam Hendricks is healthy, you could see him on the move. But I think um, Giolito and Lynn are at the top of the list, along with Kendall Graveman. I, I don't know what – maybe you throw in Gavin Sheets. Tim Anderson is the big question mark with, with the White Sox. Would they – can they move him? He's having a horrendous year, just a terrible year. But from what I've been told, you know, a, a team interested in him would probably move him to second base, take some pressure out of him. I'm not sure there's many contenders that need a starting shortstop anyway, and he's played terribly at that position. So if you move him, he's probably going to second base. I don't know the, the Mariners have terrible production at second base, and maybe a change of scenery for half a season or two months would do Tim Anderson well. So I'm um, not sure what the market is for him. But there might be a few teams interested at second. Uh, but certainly Lucas Giolito will be Lucas Giolito will be at the top of the list for the White Sox guys. You blink twice, and it's it's crazy that Tim Anderson's already thirty. I mean, we go back to where that core was for the White Sox and in the development back in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. And as you highlighted there, Jesse Rogers, ESPN, nice enough to take some time with us. This has been a horrific year for him. Is Anderson one of those players that it was it, we we moved? too quickly with him is this an anomaly is it the injuries that he's had in his career like we mentioned being at 30 years old and maybe a position move and a change of scenery does solve it but what's been the biggest attribute with his struggles on this disappointing White Sox front yeah I think he's different than those other guys um because he's had 300 you know 300 average seasons four in a row he's been on the WBC he's been on all-star teams um, he's never been a great defender, but he's been average on his in, during his good years, and he's been elite at the plate. Uh, this year is a complete disaster. There's some off-the-field things that have gone public that have probably contributed to it all. He's, it just seems like he's out to lunch. He just does not seem locked in mentally, um, let alone physically. Um, and so when that happens, you end up having the worst year of your, your career. So I do think he's a little different. I do think a change of scenery would help. 
Um, unfortunately, the, the Sox are not bringing out the best of, uh, out of him right now, uh, and, and they haven't really. It, 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 the Sox don't have a great support system, in my opinion. You know, when, when it's easy when things are going well. When things aren't going well, you you need that support system. It just doesn't feel like it's there. Um, so I think it's it's a bunch of reasons. But I, I, you know, he's just not the leader that people thought that he probably would be, especially as a shortstop, an all-star at that position. That's just a normally a leadership position in a lot of ways. Um, but he's just been out to lunch. I think he's in a different category. The problem with most of the other guys is just been injury prone. And the White Sox should have saw that in a couple guys. Elo Jimenez came injury prone. They've put him out in left field. They put him out in right field. That's part of the bad roster construction, a bunch of DHs on this team. I think they thought they probably could slug their way to, to contention the way maybe the Phillies have and even the Braves have. But they haven't stayed healthy enough, and they haven't even slugged when they have been healthy other than maybe Luis Robert this year. You know, Andrew Vaughn hasn't turned into that dangerous hitter that they thought he'd be, at least not yet. Um, so it's, it's, it's a combination of things. But I go back to, you know, I use Jose Ramirez as an example. That is a guy that will just carry your team. He'll carry your team in the locker room. He'll carry your team on the field. He will play all out as the best player on the Cleveland Guardians. And he, and he brought them to a division title with a less-than-great roster last year. Who's the Sox player that does that? Who's the Sox player that gets dirty, that leads that team, that is nasty? It's just, I don't see it. I don't see it. And you can't have you know, Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks doing it from, from, from a pitching standpoint, especially when Lance Lynn hasn't been good the last couple of years and Liam's been in and out and he's a closer. You need a position player or two to, to be nasty and dirty. Um, you know, Mike Rizzo a couple of years ago traded for Adam Eaton for that exact reason, and he helped them to a World Series championship. I don't see that in Tim Anderson, and I don't see that on anybody on that roster. Um, it needs a, a, a change, and, and Tim Anderson's probably at the top of the list. This might be a stupid question, Jesse. I'm not sure, but um, I, I want to start with Otani. So the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, is like, not trading him to the Dodgers, right? Doesn't want to trade him to the Crosstown rival. If Otani played for the Cubs, or if Otani played for the White Sox, if they could get the best deal from their crosstown rival, would they have the same mindset as Artie Moreno and like, nope, not doing that? Well, we'll see if Moreno has been, you know, sort of if that's really true or not. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe it is. I mean, Otani's a unicorn, so I can't tell you for sure that the Cubs or Sox would say no. All I can tell you is there's been a history of trades, most recent and, and the big ones, right? The most recent one being Aloy and Cease for, for Jose Quintana. There ha- I, I, I think if, look, you are, you are really hurting your franchise. If the Crosstown team has the best offer and you don't make it, I think that's silly. I think yeah. that's silly. But I, I can see ownership saying something like that. But that's where a strong GM has to come in and convince his owner. Look, the Dodgers are paying more than any other team. Theo Epstein used to talk about a Crosstown tax. When you do a deal cross town, sometimes you have to pay a, a tax, an extra, an extra player or two because it is that rival team in your town. So if the Dodgers are willing to pay that tax, I think the Angels would be stupid to say no to the best deal and take something less. Uh, now, maybe, again, Otani is, is such a late, lightning rod for attention, um, and, and you know, you're going to get hammered by trading him no matter who you trade him to, and especially if it's the Dodgers, I get all that. And maybe that would prevent the Cubs or Sox from doing business. 
But I think if it's the best deal, it's the best deal, and you take it. So, but that's where you know ownership is. Owners can be emotional about things. GMs have to take emotion out of it and think about what's best for his team, and then go to the owner and convince him that's the deal. So, I'm not convinced the Dodgers would be out of the mix. They, along with the Rays and the Orioles, have one of the best farm systems. And and if they offer a six for one or even a five for one that's better than any other team. I still I would not discount the Angels from taking that deal, but it will be up to Perry Manias and the GM to go convince his owner of it. Yeah, Jesse Rogers, great stuff, bud. Good talking some uh, some uh, baseball with you, and uh, hope to do it sometime soon, man. Yeah, trade deadline should be interesting. We'll talk soon. Take Thanks, care. Jesse. Thank you. There he is, Jesse Rogers, covers the White Sox and the Cubs for ESPN. Yeah, I just had a flashback to the gym I go to on the TV screens. It doesn't say ESPN2. It says EPSN2. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen you post that on Twitter before. Have you? Surely you've asked why. You're a curious gent. You're like, hey, you know that's spelled wrong over there, right? And is it, a, oh, we're just too lazy to fix it? Or do you not know the answer to that question? Because that bugged me by proxy. I was very frustrated by that. I saw it the other day on your timeline. I just, I'm going to leave it the way it is. I get a laugh every time I go there. You know, I just looked up and I'm like, why does that look wrong? What, what's, why? Oh, because it's EPSN is how they have it written out right there. Huge sports fans at that gym right there. Um, yeah, listen, we, we got to compare notes coming up next here. Some of the things that Jesse brought up and the Otani thing I think is really interesting. If you bring it to your team, or you bring it to a market that has a true crosstown rival. Are you saying no way, no how, if that's the best deal? I'm with Jesse on that one. I'm curious what you think about it, Jimmy. You're a Yankees guy. What if the Yankees and Mets were involved in a similar situation? We'll get into that. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Yeah, it was a bad sign when Jesse Rogers says said it's been a complete disaster this year. And I thought about my betting history. I, that's what I immediately thought of. Like, I'm like that's a bad bad sign. Right there. Seems to be your trend. Good. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm gonna turn this. Uh, I'm gonna turn this thing around here, Jimmy. You just watch. Um, Otani. So the dude Eddie. Garrison, who's with us today, he said this before the show started. He is an absolute unicorn. He's one of one, is what Eddie said. And he's right. He went yard against your Yankees last night, his 35th home run of the season. The dude is one of the best hitters and one of the best pitchers. That that should not happen. That's like, you know, robotic type stuff, you know? He's from like uh men in black or something like that. He's insane. But the, the reports here, and I actually have a little bit of audio for you. Oh, a little treat. I didn't even realize. Oh, man. Thing. All right, then. Yeah, so this is Chris Myers, what he said on FS1. Reports came out today that the Angels, according to their owner, unwilling to trade Shohei Otani to the Dodgers, their crosstown L.A. rival. Okay, unwilling to trade Otani to their crosstown rival. That's the report. And so if you bring this to a Cubs-White Sox thing, let's make it a little bit more regional here to Indianapolis, right? You might not care about the Angels or Dodgers at all. If Otani played for the Cubs, would they say, we don't care that the White Sox are giving us the best offer here. We're not trading them across town. Not doing that. Or vice versa. Would the White Sox have the same point of view if they had Otani and the Cubs were offering them the best package possible? 
I, I don't know what they would think in terms of that. But if that's the best deal you can make, you make it. And the Angels right now, I know it's a tough spot, um, uh, Jimmy, because, I mean, deep down you're like, I hope he resigns with us. But it's a marriage proposal, really. You know, you need to know the answer is yes before you propose. And Otani's giving you warning sign after warning sign that he is going elsewhere. He said at the All-Star break, he's like, yeah, I'm tired of losing. I'm paraphrasing, but that's it. I'm like, I'm tired of losing around here. That doesn't point to he's going to re-up with the Angels, you know? So if you're getting these warning signs, you got to move them. You can't lose them for nothing. And that's what's going to happen if they keep him and he walks at the end of the, the season as a free agent. If you can get the best deal from the Dodgers, who I think would overpay for the guy, you do it and you build your franchise going forward instead of letting the guy walk. And what? Because of pride? Because you don't want to see the the headlines? You don't want to read the newspaper over the years with Otani being across the street? You got to do what's best for your organization first instead of what you're going to hear going down the road. Two key things, and the first part of why I agree with you is the word you use in your sentence as well as what Jesse Riders highlighted to us, which is overpay. And that's what I yeah. would need to have happen from a crosstown rival, as he put it, a crosstown tax, if I am going to make a move like that. It has to be something where, yes, it's the best offer, but it it's never going to feel like you're really getting one over on the team you're training with in the moment maybe it pans out long term but it's Otani for whoever like I would want a little bit of overpay there to make that deal but the second part of it and I I, I've never been in the business chair Brian so like it's a struggle like you I would think even a a high level owner of any professional sports franchise would see that what I'm about to say is short term versus long term but they highlighted it last night on the broadcast like the Angels right now like great that they're potential playoff team they're fighting for a playoff spot the only reason that park is packed on a nightly basis the only reason they're getting a ton of international merchandising dollars the only reason eyeballs are on them every night is because Shohei Otani is there and so you're at a point where you look at the rest of the season and you have to really stomach and I think you ultimately make this decision but you have to stomach the thought that the second you move him I'm not saying it's going to be like Oakland Coliseum but it's it's going to be a dark place compared to what it was last night against the Yankees. I and you have it. to stomach that. You have to be willing to say, I'm not scared of the short-term impact. This is for the long-term health of the franchise, letting him walk for nothing. Yeah, that's... I just... I don't see how, like, air. Like, <laughs> you get nothing. is <laughs> right. better than whatever package you yeah. get in return. I, there's no perfect ending here. The only perfect ending is that he re-ups and things are magical going forward. But if he doesn't re-up, it's, there's no way it, it can be even close to perfect. You're either going to trade him and people are going to say, that's what you got for Otani, right? More likely than not, because he is such a special player. Or he walks for free and you're like, you let that guy walk for You got nothing in return for who could go down as the GOAT? Like, he has goat potential. That's how great the guy is. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no perfect way. I, I This is a basketball thing. I mean, I, I follow basketball closer than baseball, so you tell me if this is a stretch at all. But the best I can come up with off the top of my head is think about the Celtics when they traded Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, two incredibly popular players who were down toward the end of their careers. And they traded them to a a divisional team in the Brooklyn Nets. And look at Boston now. They got Jason Tatum, 
and Jalen Brown out of that deal. Yeah. That's what it turned into. You're better off going forward. Would it have been better to be like, nope, out of pride, not trading them to the Nets? No way. And you just have Paul Pierce and KG playing out the string, and you have no Jason Tatum, no Jalen Brown. How is life better? Like sometimes you got to bite the bullet and do what's best for the franchise over the long haul. And that's another notable overpay, right? Like that 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 oh, trade be, be, for for a number of different reasons, in part from the fact that the writing was kind of on the wall with Paul Pierce and KG. That's why they cashed out when they did. But the return that you got back on that alleviated any like if that was the type of the, the you know, if you could quantitate the baseball four first round picks, like if that was the type of package I was getting back, I don't care where I'm sending it. Right. Like, that's fine. Let's 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 roll. Shohei, it's been fun. And enjoy Dodger Stadium. It's just so fascinating <laughs> because like the guy is a three hundred million dollar pitcher and a three hundred million dollar hitter. Yeah. Like the amount of prospects, future picks that the Angels could get for Otani is just ridiculous because this guy, he's going to hit 50 bombs. And he if he wanted to, he could steal 50 bases. Yeah. Like, he has that type of skill set. It's just, like I said, he's a unicorn. And if you are, if you know you're not going to be able to retain him, you got to try and get as yeah. much as you possibly can I, in return. I think they're screwed because if I'm yeah. a contender, I'm not giving you the farm because I'm going to go get him in two months. Well, right. here's the problem. Yeah. Like you have to go get him if you want him. Like if you're a contender, you have to go get him. But but what I'm saying is the yes, you could get him in terms of you're not going to compete against a bunch of other teams like you would in free agency. But if what baseball experts are saying, which is that Otani's not coming back to Anaheim, why would I give the farm when I can go get him in two months? Because it can give your team a championship that season. And if you do that, it's worth it all. And if you go out there and you make it to the World Series and you win a World Series with Otani, he may change his mind. He's like, oh, I really like this place. I just won a World Series here. Yeah, I get what both of you guys are saying because it's a tough spot where if the Dodgers are like, we're giving you all this when it might end up being a two-month rental, <laughs> that, that's tough to do. So I, I'm really curious what they could get for the guy. But to your point, Eddie, it still would be significant. I think you take something significant over probable air, which is like sure. nothing in your hand if you let this guy play out the rest of this season and then he walks. Interesting stuff. All right, coming up next, Jimmy, there are two lists over here. I, I, I'm going to say one of the two is extraordinary. I'm going to go that far as to say <laughs> one of these two lists is extraordinary. The other one ain't half bad, and it's going to lead to a, a lot of discussion. NFL-related on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I saw this morning an extraordinary list here, Jimmy. Extraordinary. It's from Warren Sharp. Covers the NFL very closely. Sharp football, that whole thing. I would imagine you give him a follow. Is yeah. that true? Yes. Yeah, you do. I, I if I, if I don't, I, I frequently see him on my timeline for all the reasons you outlined. <laughs> I bet you I don't follow him. I bet you I lied to you. I followed him as of 1.01 p.m. July 18th, 2023. Just lied to you. There we go. Off to a great start. Anyway, lists. Yeah. <laughs> So you are following I, I am now? aware of Warren Sharp. Yes, I am following okay. him now. But I, but frequently I see him retreated throughout the NFL season. So. No doubt. No doubt. Okay, I got you. That's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought about that where it's like now on your timeline, it's littered with people that you don't follow. But anyway, that's another story for yeah. another day. So Warren Sharp, he put out this list. Fourth place division finishes since 2010 
in the NFL. So who came in dead last in their division since 2010? Okay? So at the top of the list, the Browns. Eight (laughs) times, Jimmy. Eight (laughs) times since 2010 they finished last. And then it goes from there. I'm not going to give you all 32 teams. We'll just say the worst and the best. Okay? So... Seven times finishing in last place of their division, the Jets and Tampa Bay. Now, the obvious tie-in right there is look at what Brady did with Tampa and can Aaron Rodgers do the same with the Jets. I don't think you can gloss over how awful Tampa had been before Tom Brady got there. I think it was 12 years they hadn't made the playoffs. And then year one, Brady wins a Super Bowl. Granted, that was a talented team. But they had a losing record the season prior with Jameis Winston. And they went from that to winning it all. <laughs> like, Imagine what we'd be saying if Aaron Rodgers wins it all with the Jets this season. Yeah. I mean, That's very comparable to what Tom Brady did with Tampa. Yeah, I mean, and again, it goes back to the Jets, much like the Buccaneers did at that time, even though they were struggling and, and were at the bottom of their own divisions, Felt like, okay, we have key pieces in place that are talented players, but our offense is very anemic. We're struggling in a lot of areas. We need a quarterback. We need to figure this out. Both those franchises, again, when you look at like all-time quarterbacks, it have been quite some time, if ever, that they had had somebody that talented under center. I know we're speaking a little bit cart before the horse with Rodgers because you need to see a bounce-back year from him, but that's why they did what they did because they felt like this guy is going to change everything for us and elevate everybody else in such a way that we're going to contend and maybe win. So, 12 seasons where Tampa hadn't made the playoffs before Brady got there. This is eerie, Jimmy. This sound the X-Files music right there. You know. <laughs> yes. I hear it in my head I do right too. here. Uh, how many years since the Jets have made the playoffs? How many uh seasons have they missed it in a row? What would you say? 13. Exact same number 12. Exact same number as when uh, Brady took over there and they won a championship. Then you also think about this. The season prior to Tom Brady, Tampa was 7-9. and How about the Jets last season? 7-10. and I'm telling you. There There he is. There it is. Eddie Garcia. Or or Eddie uh, Garrison right on. (laughs) Sorry, I work with a guy named Eddie Garcia. I mixed him up there. But how, how insane is that? Are you going all in on the Jets? I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Uh, But it is eerie how those things sync up right there. Okay, getting back to the list from Warren Sharp. Last place in their division since 2010. So there are four teams that have not finished in last place of their respective division. Do you care to guess, Jimmy? I'm Alex Trebek over here, the late great, because I have the answers. Otherwise, I'd be in the same boat just throwing darts regrettably because I don't want to kill the segment since you gave me you a hard time che- for not following it. Warren Sharp. I've uh-huh. seen the list, so I'm oh, like the... But Eddie is not, so Eddie gets to play. Alright, Eddie, you got four. So I want four guesses. Let's gamble on Eddie's guessing ability here, uh, Jimmy. How many of the four do you think Eddie's going to come up with? I think that Eddie can get three of the four right. Three of the four? I have confidence in him. Man, that's high. I'm going to say right. he tops out at two. 
Tops out at two. So okay. fourth place division since 2010, and these are teams that have not come in dead last in their division. All right, That's cons- right. Considering that this team hasn't had a losing season underneath this head coach, my first guess will be the Pittsburgh Steelers. That is correct. That is correct. You're off to a flying start here, Eddie. And since we're doing 2010 to now, that would have to loop in the New England Patriots because of Tom Brady. That is correct. You are doing very, very well thus far. I hope that it goes south here so I can be right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm trying to think of some legendary quarterbacks. Um, Well, you just talked about Rodgers, so I'm expecting a Rodgers connection here. I'm going to toss out Green Bay. There's only one. Let's go. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I'd say the Colts, but I know there was one season to suck for luck here, uh-huh. so I can't put them in there. I want to say Kansas City, but I'm almost sure there's one season where they've finished in the bottom of their division, and maybe two. Um, final guess, Saints? With- oh. Wow! wow Got them all! Was he? Was it sign language? Was uh, you, was no, Jimmy the, the going like Jack some sort of for it? I I thought about influencing, but I didn't. I kept my hands where Eddie could not see them. There's really not a hoot at hand signal, you know. So I take it all back. Take it all back. It's not even possible <laughs> that you could be cheating. Very well done. Outstanding job by Eddie Garrison. Bravo. Four for four. Bravo. The four teams that have not finished in last place in their respective division since 2010. Steelers, Patriots, Packers, Saints. Well done. And he he mentioned the Colts only one time. The suck for luck here. That was the one time they finished in last place at the AFC South. Yep, he was right about that. He's right about the Chiefs too. He adjusted that two seasons. Yeah, they were they were awful when I was in high school, man. They were bad. I mean, basically most of my like education up until college, they were horrific. But yeah, the, the, that was the year they got the number one overall pick and got Eric Fisher after the 2012 season, oh, and then yeah, yeah. yeah they, they they were not great in 2011 either. Thanks, Matt Castle. Who? So that was the Matt Castle year. Yeah, that was oof. Yeah. You know, I love when everybody brings up Matt Castle. This is going to sound like oh, yeah, a, me too. a hater it's, thing it's to a say. Great but, time. Um, when they bring up Matt Castle the year with the Patriots, because I hear this all the time, like to take credit away from the GOAT Tom Brady, <laughs> where it's like, oh, well, Matt Castle, they won 11 games. Like, you got to read the fine print. They were undefeated the season prior. And so winning 11 games with Matt Castle, that's good. Don't get me wrong. That's good. They were minus five wins from year to year. You got to take that into account. It's important. It's right. It's very important. Yeah. Like take any of these other teams. If uh, I don't know, the Eagles. Eagles had a great season. They were 14 and three. Imagine if they're nine and eight. Would we just be like, eh, whatever. They're nine and eight. Still strong season. No, <laughs> they probably wouldn't even be a playoff team. Well, maybe in the NFC they would be. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So a little bit more on this list here. Um, the last thing I'll mention the teams that have been in last place in their division only one time since 2010 Colts, Cowboys, Seahawks, and Ravens. That's what's crazy to me about the, the Cowboys. They get clowned all the time because they haven't had Super Bowl success since that 1995 season. But they've, they've had a lot of good years. They just they haven't been good when it counts the most in the playoffs. But they have actually won a Super Bowl like a year prior to the San Francisco 49ers. 
We talked about this a little while ago, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Is it blew my mind. There was a stat on SportsCenter. They showed how many days it's been since each of these teams had won a Super Bowl. And the Cowboys, it was, it was a lot of days since 1995, but it was the, it, the number was less than the Niners. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, oh, yeah, the Niners won in 94. That was the last time. And the Cowboys, the 95 season was the last time. It's just interesting to me. We clown the Cowboys all day long. We don't clown the Niners the same way. It's been longer since they've won a Super Bowl. Well, so I think there's two reasons for that. One, and it's it's the blessing and the curse of if you're a fan of a big market team, which is that the Cowboys are force-fed towards everybody 24-7. Almost everything they do is either gospel or newsworthy from an incomplete pass in practice to Jerry Jones you know, getting sub sandwiches for the team like it, it, it's gonna make headlines regardless of what it is but the reason i think they're clowning more than anything right or wrong the niners have been to a conference championship game in more recent memory than most cowboys fans can point to mm-hmm. and even though they've been again they've, they've been around they've hung around there like eddie mentioned how the steelers are you know a franchise with mike tomlin where it feels like they're always around the conversation they've had success in the playoffs you know, post 2000, the Cowboys haven't been to a conference championship game since I was born. Like it, 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 it's, it's hard to not look at a team that is America's team and not rag on them any chance you get when there's been no significant, I don't even mean a Super Bowl. I mean, make a conference championship game and then bring back out America's team. That's all I'm saying. This is crazy too. I have to go back and see the records. I'm doing crack research on the fly here, Jimmy. And uh, so since 95, the Cowboys, they've made the playoffs 12 times since 95. Since 94, which was the Super Bowl season of the Niners, they've made it 12 times also. Now, to your point, within that time, the Niners have lost two Super Bowls. Right, They got to the Super Bowl. They were on the doorstep against the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Was that defensive holding slash pass interference on, was it Jimmy Smith on Michael Crabtree? I so it was a nip and tuck game with the lights going out in the Superdome, that whole thing. And then against your Chiefs, goodness, like defend Tyreek Hill on third and 15 and you win a ring. Like good, they were right there. So yes, they've made it to the Super Bowl. I would guess that their record is better over those 12 playoff appearances than the Cowboys, but still don't have any jewelry. I'll, I'll tell you this. This is the best point. If you flip-flopped exactly what the Cowboys and Niners have done in the playoffs since the last time they won a Super Bowl, okay? Imagine the Cowboys, they've done what the Niners have done. The Cowboys have had a better record. They made it to the Super Bowl twice, and they lost both games. We would be hammering them. And yet the Niners, it's just like, man, this team, like they finished in last place since 2010 in their division four times. The Cowboys only once. Like it's sometimes it goes a little bit too far. That's all I'm saying. I get the criticism, the negativity of the Cowboys. Sometimes it goes way too far when you compare it to the 49ers. I don't hear the type of why they they're so easy to dunk on. And again, I'm not saying that there's not real pedigree there. Both of them are two of the most decorated franchises in NFL history. I'm not questioning that. I, I'm not trying to you know say that they don't matter because they haven't had recent success. Like like that. I'm not saying they shouldn't matter, but there should be criticisms there. But the reason it comes more for the Cowboys, you're right. They would get crushed more oh. because 
more Cowboys fans, at least in my interactions, are chest strutting. We're everything America's team, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. pompous people versus uh-huh. like Niners fans. Like, yeah, I'm not saying they're not arrogant too, or they're not a spoiled fan base as well, but it's not covered that way. And I don't get the same vibes with the average Cowboy fan versus the average 49er fan. But. By the way, quick story. I made the bad mistake of uh, seeing a Dolphins 49ers game a long time ago. And I wore some Dolphins gear. I just rolled by myself. I was living in the California area. I didn't know that many people. So I'm like, I'm going to go see my Dolphins. <laughs> and this, this was long enough where on the way there, I couldn't find the stadium. This is before GPS and all that fancy stuff. And I asked the guy, I was like, hey, man, uh, you know where the football stadium is? <laughs> I think I've told you this. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm from Belgium. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I was like, I guess that's a no. <laughs> so I found the stadium. The Dolphins get shut out 21 nothing, Jimmy. I'm telling you, these Niner fans, I felt so naive. Sounds like they couldn't find the stadium either. Yeah, the Dolphins couldn't that day. <laughs> uh, but I felt so naive because the Raider fans, they had the bad reputation. You know what I mean? Where it was like, you might not want to wear the opposing team's colors when going to a Raiders game. So I thought the Niners fans... You know, it'd be like, they might buy me something. You know, I might get some free food. Like, hey, out of town or what's going on? Oh, they were talking trash, Jimmy. Trash. <laughs> I left the stadium. There's a guy that got an inch in front of my face and was like, we kicked your ass. And he had like 13 of his friends with him. I'm like, okay, wow. It's going to be like that. And you had to make a, bu- make a business decision and say, I could go Van Dam one on 14 here. <laughs> Or I'm just going to let that slide and keep walking. That was the only move I had. And uh, I was driving back in my car and still had my jersey on. People are driving by trying to start fights with me. I'm like, oh my gosh. I had no idea it was like that. So from that day forward, you had it out against the 49ers? No, no. I know. I know that's where you think it comes from. It really doesn't. Like It was just that wild experience, but... You know, no, it's not like this uh, thorn in my side or anything. I just think it's funny how the Cowboys get clowned all day long and the Niners don't. And it's been longer since the Niners have won a Super Bowl. Okay, now we get the other list over here. Brian Noah and Jimmy Cook with you here. 93.5-1075, the fan. ESPN Plus, they have put out their top 10 quarterbacks for 2023 here, Jimmy. Okay, so the top three I don't think there's much debate. It goes Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen. I have no beef with that whatsoever. You? Yeah, I'm good. That works. good with that. Okay. Now we get to uh, argument territory. Number four, Aaron Rodgers. Five, Justin Herbert. Six, Jalen Hurts. Fresh off of a near MVP campaign. Might have won MVP if he didn't get hurt against the Bears toward the end of the season. Eagles end up in the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts played great. They come up a little bit short. But Herbert over Hurts, I I can't sign off on it. Because think about the opposite. Imagine if Justin Herbert had a sensational season, near MVP campaign, plays great in the Super Bowl, narrow loss, garbage defense folding call. Right? Like, uh, you're not putting Jalen Hurts over Justin Herbert if that's the case. Right. So I got to put Hurts over Herbert right now. Yeah, look, I don't disagree with you at all. I feel like that this is sometimes when I look at lists like this, uh-huh. I feel like there's some 
dishonest work going on. Oh. Sorry to call you out here, Jeremy Fowler. Ooh. But like, I, I look at certain areas of, of tension and putting Justin Herbert over Jalen Hurts, even though I think ah. they're both top 10 quarterbacks, is just mind-numbing to me because of the type of all-around season Jalen Hurts had, not even including like the just the win-loss aspect of it, removing that, just the season that he had as a whole last year, being in some conversations as he should be the MVP winner. And again, you look at just the overall postseason success, you add that in there as well. Yeah, I'm not... I can buy Rodgers because of, I guess, the longevity of it, and I think he's going to have a bounce-back year. Herbert, though, that's that's too much. That That's, that's the red flag of this list of, you got me. You got me, Jeremy. Yeah. Okay, the rest of the list is uh, number seven, Lamar. Eight is Trevor Lawrence. Nine is Dak. How do you feel about that? Let me let me get number 10 is Matthew Stafford. Now, okay. Here's the deal. Because I saw that as I scrolled down, I'm like, well, there's no way Brian's gonna take this one sitting down. What do you think my biggest beef is with those final four of the top ten? Trevor Lawrence ahead of Dak. No, I have no issue with that. Really? Okay. No, yeah. Why you thought I would have Well, no, uh, I just I I feel like in our past conversations, not a knock against Trevor Lawrence, but you feel like Dak Prescott is undervalued at times, and I don't necessarily disagree with you on that, but I mean, it's also with our conversation yesterday on is it a clear cut runaway for the Jaguars or not? Where's the consistency? Again, I'm speaking for you in this situation from Trevor Lawrence. Can he do it again? And is he already better than Dak Prescott after last year? Like that's what I I would look at that with them being one over the other. I think Trevor Lawrence is a better quarterback. I think that he's already better in year two, and I think he's just going to get better. So I think that he always have this expression, like when a wide receiver is even with a cornerback, he's leaving. Yep. You know, like maybe Trevor Lawrence and Dak are sort of even right now. Trevor Lawrence is going to leave them. Then you're mad that Lamar Jackson is ahead of both of them. Or maybe in the top 10 at all. I don't know. I don't know how, how frustrated you are with it. I think, and I got to be careful with this because people get the wrong idea. <laughs> I think Lamar Jackson is the most overrated player in the NFL right now. Now, that's subject to change because he is a very talented guy. But with Lamar, I just can't get over myself where this guy over the last two years, he's had, what, 33 touchdown passes and 20 interceptions? He's been injury-prone the last two years. He's missed 11 games, including the playoff game, which there's like there's some, uh, some scrutiny. Like, could he have played if he absolutely had to? I think he might have been able to, you know? So he's missed 11 games the last two years. His numbers are drastically down. I get that he's talented, but it's, we talked about it yesterday. It's not just about talent. It's about results, and the results have not been there. It was a whole off season of, is the NFL borderline racist because this guy can't get a fully guaranteed deal? It's like, he's thrown 33 touchdowns and 20 picks. It has been a medicine cabinet walking around out there. Are you kidding me? A fully guaranteed deal? You're out of your mind. And it's also the part about availability and that mattering and that being a factor of, well, are you really better than everybody if your game or if your amount of games played is a smaller sample size? Like, here's the issue. And again, we don't need to go back down this road, but just to outline why I get frustrated with the wins exclusively being a quarterback stat. And that's the only reason that, okay, you know, X, Y, or Z in your conversations, they matter, but they shouldn't be the sole deciding factor. People are still, including in this article, propping up the fact that Lamar Jackson 
while the quarterback of the Ravens has a winning percentage that is just behind Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. He is the third best win percentage. Or, or sorry, and Roger Staubach. I didn't know they were doing uh, all-time greats there. Okay, so he's, he's fourth on that all-time list. He's 45-16 and 16 over that stretch. And you might think, okay, well, that's not fair. How is he supposed to play as many games as Tom Brady? Okay, I'm willing to give you that. Patrick Mahomes has played 64 or has 64 wins to 16 losses over that stretch. He's played nearly two more seasons than Lamar Jackson has, but we prop it up like they're on the same level when mm. availability matters. Like yes. I think I think Lamar is talented, and I'm not as negative as some are on his overall game, but what bugs me more, and half of the reason that the Ravens weren't willing to spend big on him, is health and availability, and that should matter within this list. He's a top-10 quarterback. I'd put him above Stafford. I don't know that I'd put him over Dak or Trevor Lawrence. Well, and that's the thing is, if you were to say, hey, Tua should be a top 10 guy, the most popular pushback you would get is he missed five games last year, which totally is valid. Well, it's like, well, then how can can you say that Lamar absolutely should be on the list if you're looking sideways at like Tonga Vailoa? Really? Top 10? It's like (laughs) that dude put up MVP numbers, but he missed the five games. Like, availability is so important. That's the thing with Lamar. I'm not telling you he can't play. He's incredibly talented. He's just very inconsistent, and he's unavailable too often. I'm not saying overrated is you can't play. Overrated, to me, literally means that the most popular opinion is rosier than the reality. That's it. Like, the most popular opinion of Lamar is rosier than the reality. That, that's why I say he's the most overrated. There's not a player that we gush more about that does less. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's the guy. Um, Matthew Stafford, number 10. Now, here's the thing, Jimmy. You could look at this list from a, a different point of view. You could say, okay, this is where it is right now, but where is it headed? You know? If you're looking at who you think will be in the top 10 when the season is over... You know, do you think that Matthew Stafford's going to be there? What about a guy like Deshaun Watson? He could have a bounce back year. What about Russell Wilson? What about Kirk Cousins always gets over? That dude puts up numbers, and people would laugh if you're like, yeah, he's a top 10 guy. They'd be like, what? No way. It's like, he's putting up numbers. What do you think about when it's all said and done? Stafford, Watson, Kirk, or Russ? <sighs> Stafford, Watson, Kirk, or Russ, who has the higher ranking of all of them? Yeah. Watson. I think I think Deshaun has a bounce back year this year. And if he if he is able to have the type of year, I think he will with another season return to football activities. I think he winds up being the best. You and I are splitting hairs on how good of the bounce back will be on Russell Wilson. I, I mean it. The bar was so bad last year. There's no way, unless he's legitimately washed, that he doesn't have an improvement on what he did last year for the Denver Broncos. He belongs in consideration. Look, I'm I'm a Kirk Cousin hater. What can I say? I mean, I like the guy, but I just I I I have him pigeonholed in that same lane of Ryan Tannehill, where like he's better than Tannehill, but he's only going to take you so far. Like Kirk Cousins, by all accounts, appears to be a great guy. I don't like hate him the person, but the quarterback model of him, like. I can't take Minnesota seriously. It's a, it's the Alex Smith complex of me. What do you want me to do? Um, and then in terms of uh, one other thing I want to note, I apologize to Jeremy Fowler. 
because I misread how this thing opened. He was, he, he was just doing his job as, a, as a national reporter. My real gripe is with execs, coaches, and scouts here. He was just okay. he was just outlining it out on a voting system. So Jeremy Fowler on the off chance you're listening to this and made it uh, this long, oh, you're not. Man. But uh, that's on me. That's my bad. It's the whole NFL I have to blame. Not that's you. awesome. Jeremy's but that's like, a bigger I'm catching issue. strays over here. I didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bigger issue to your point, though, because that that's no longer like one reporter's evaluation. That is an anonymous example of scouts, GMs, and executives that feel that way about Lamar Jackson. This isn't like just a, a public vacuum. It is there's legit feelings around the league that that's where his evaluation is. You know what? Let me say something. This is going to sound hot take-ish. It's not at all. It's the truth. Kirk Cousins last year was leaps and bounds better than Dak Prescott. It wasn't even sure. close. He, he, like, you're not, I'm not going to argue with that whatsoever. Yeah, like you had Dak. We were just talking about availability. Like the guy missed five games. Also, remember when Cooper Rush was in there and he sort of righted the ship for the mm-hmm. Cowboys. They played well with him in there. Dak misses five games. His numbers are worse. Obviously, throws for you know fewer touchdowns, more interceptions than Kirk, who's playing five more games. The the Vikings had the most offensive plays last season. Played at a very high pace, and their defense was freaking terrible. But you have Kirk with over 4,500 yards passing. Like, he had a much better year mm-hmm. than Dak. And I don't know why it's become so popular to make Kirk Cousins sound like he's Davis Mills or something. I, I don't know why it's gone that far. We're, we're at a back half of that list where nine or eight, nine, and 10, really, I'm willing to hear arguments about it because you're either rookies yeah. that still have area to grow or like second or third year guys, or you're long-term veterans that have proven, which Kirk Cousins has done this, you're a good NFL quarterback. You are capable of being a starting-level quarterback in the National Football League, but... And again, it's it's it stinks for him. It's a lower, lower, far lower example to what running backs are dealing with with the rest of the league. But just in the quarterback rooms alone, a guy like yeah. Kirk Cousins, I see him. It's like he's good, but he's not elite. He's not yeah. great. And he doesn't do things that make me be like, oh, my God, this guy's clearly one of the best quarterbacks either a I've ever seen or be in the league right now. And And that's. It's not a bad thing. Like he's made plenty of money on it, and he he wins has has success in the playoffs to an extent. Like he, he's a good leader, but he's not great compared to the other quarterbacks that make up the top five. That's why we're arguing for him in the eight to ten range. I, I'll say this real fast: where um, I think once you once you've done enough, where most people go eh, about you. You got to do something significant yeah. to change it. Kirk Cousins is a lot like Jared Goff. Yes. Like Jared Goff, we go, eh, eh. you know, the yep. guy had 29 touchdowns, seven picks, uh, passer rating over 99. He was seventh in passer rating last year. That's really good. But it's not significant enough for us to change. Our our evaluation of like they made the same noises about they made the same noises about Alex Smith, great guy by all accounts, but like there's a ceiling to it. He's good, he's efficient, he can win. There's a ceiling to what he's going to do for you. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, I think Eddie wanted to chime in. We'll get Eddie's thoughts on this list. Also, it might be an an unfair question. It depends on your point of view. I don't think it's unfair. But I'll throw it uh, Jimbo's way as far as rookies go. That's on the way. I'm Brian. No, he's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian. No, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. 
You know, I could hear when we were talking about this top 10 list, ESPN has unveiled top 10 quarterbacks for 2023. I can tell when Eddie Garrison opens the microphone. It's a little bit like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin's music when the glass, the glass breaks. And <laughs> it's a little bit like that with Eddie Garrison. And so I'm curious what he has to say about this list. I know he's got a comment about it. I'm just interested to see how Matthew Stafford is on this list after pretty much looking bad last year and being yeah. hurt and his future's really in question. Uh, I'm shocked that he's on this list and he was ranked as high as five. Like, Oof. I don't know, he's 35 years old. He's got, what, neck and back injuries? Like, that just screams no bueno for me. And, like, he's on a really, really bad team. Um, so I and I like you. I thought Kirk Cousins should be within that top ten because, I mean, you can look at the numbers. He's he's consistently good year in and year out. The only problem with Kirk Cousins is that it's it's well known he just does not perform yeah. when the lights are on him in prime time or in the playoffs. So like that's the only thing you're going to knock on him. But I think other than that, I think it's right for the most part in terms of the list. I'm honestly shocked that Justin Fields wasn't in the honorable mention category uh, because if he does take that leap, I think you can vault him into that top 10 quarterback uh, rankings because of the way he can impact the game with his arm and his legs. Well, the thing with Stafford that you highlight, man, there's nothing in terms of stats or anything related to last season that would point to top 10 right here, right now, where, I mean, the guy, he played nine games. So he missed half the season. He missed eight games. And then his number is 10 touchdowns, eight picks. <laughs> passer yeah. rating passer rating was lower than Mariota and Jacoby Brissett. He was 22nd in passer rating last year. So The only thing I could lean man. on for why he could squeak into the top 10, and this is, again, being glass half full. Like, I don't necessarily disagree sure. with Eddie, but the only, if I'm trying to look at why execs around the league, and not Jeremy Fowler, might think that, uh, <laughs> might think that Matthew Stafford would be a top 10 quarterback this year is who was out there? Cooper Cup? No, no, he missed no. a significant portion yeah. of last year. We got dudes and, like Ben Skoranek, <laughs> and yeah, sure. One of the most talented wide receivers when he's healthy in football in Cooper Cup. So you're you're buying low on Stafford with projecting him as a top 10 QB. It's not the most outlandish thing in the world, but you're banking on two key things Eddie outlined and I outlined as well. His health this year and the availability of the weapons around him, i.e. Cooper Cup. I want to see, I don't know how many games Cooper Cup played last year. I'm curious when he went down. I'm trying to find that out real fast. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't there very long. Uh, let's see. He played. I made this harder than I just clicked on the wrong thing. <laughs> so More I, than I thought. Wow, he played nine yeah, games. So did he play the same nine games that Stafford did? If he did, uh, that makes Stafford look way worse. Yes, it does. Wow, like this is crazy. <laughs> this is. I didn't know this. So Cooper Cup. If you asked me, hey. Just ballpark what you think his numbers were last year. Catches, yards, touchdowns. I would not have said something as good as this. So 75 catches for 812 yards and six touchdowns. In nine games? (laughs) (laughs) That is outstanding in nine games. I had no idea he put up those type of numbers. Again, why are you... I I wouldn't have... I'm, look, I'm not surprised because that's the kind of player that he is, but I never would have guessed that. Like, I wouldn't wow. have allowed myself to believe that. But, yeah, I mean, that that's he's he's an animal, and he's really the only weapon that is truly reliable 
within that Los Angeles offense. At least he was last year. Uh, I'm struggling with getting the game log tab up, so I don't want to have bad radio in this segment. But, but yeah, that's an interesting matchup of wh- where where were they and where weren't they in terms of their availability on the field, Stafford and Cup. Because if it's the same nine or if it's close to the same nine and the target share is, yeah, he was peppering Cup because who else are you supposed to throw the ball to? And he's Cooper Cup. Why not? Then, yeah, I'm willing to say he could be top 10 this year because of that duo alone. Yeah, so Cup, he played the first nine games, just one through nine. He must have gotten hurt against Arizona. I, I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look, but it was week 10. He went down against, uh, I think it, he went down against Arizona. As far as Stafford goes, last year, his uh, his games, almost the same thing. He played the first eight games, then uh, missed the game against Arizona, then played um, there like he played in week 11 against the Rams uh, against the Saints uh, I don't know when they got hurt I don't know when he got hurt in that specific game in week nine yeah because it had to have been pretty early because he only had five targets but you look at Cooper Cup's numbers just a, a five game stretch and then the game that did not have Stafford 125 yards seven catches 80 yards seven catches 79 yards eight catches 127 yards eight catches Three catches minus one yard to yeah, Matthew right. Stafford did not play. <laughs> yeah, no Stafford that day. Man, I, I got to check just out of curiosity's sake. Who was, uh, who's behind center for that one? That would be your boy. Uh, John Wolford would be the guy uh, that game Man. against Arizona. Oh, I remember that game, Jimmy. I shouldn't even tell you. I think uh, I'm there's got to sure be some game. some some gambling uh, action within oh, this game if you remember it so well. There, there was some gambling <laughs> involved. I had the under that game because it was John Wolford and Colt McCoy. Ooh, that, that would have been great in 2010. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Money this sounds like under to me. This sounds like an under game, and there was just some dirty scoring at the end of that game. Oh, that was a that was a rough one right there. Was that a Monday night game? No, it was just a random Sunday game. Oh, I'm thinking of Arizona and San Francisco and Mexico. That's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, that was a good – that was a winning one. I had the the Niners team total over. I I remember that one well. (laughs) Surprising I can remember a win. Man, if you want me to detail my losses, I got you. I remember that like it was yesterday. Now, this might not be a completely fair question. I think I'll I'll state it in a fair way. Of all the rookie quarterbacks – when 2023 is said and done, ballpark where you think the highest guy would roughly be ranked among all the other quarterbacks. Now, again, it's your rookie season. Most rookies struggle. Like, I'm not saying, oh, not a top 10, top 10 guy, bust. Like, look at Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence now in this ESPN list, he's number eight. After his rookie season, he had, what, 12 touchdowns, 17 picks? He was awful in rookie season. Yeah. So it's not like you shouldn't read into it too closely. I'm just saying, how high do you think the highest guy will be ballpark it after year one? I mean, ever the optimist, I would say honorable mention. And that's that's wow, a trend yeah. on on this list. I think you would have an outside looking in, like showed stride, showed development, but not in this top 10 pack, but right there looking in, looking forward to year two. So how far... How many names are mentioned in honorable mention? Five. Okay, five. And, okay, oh, so. There's also some also receiving votes. I forgot it was an AP top 25. <laughs> My bad. They don't get the paragraphs. They just get their names at the bottom. 
Who, so who are all the honorable <laughs> honorable mention guys? Who all is mentioned in that? Thing? Honorable mentions are Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Tua Tungavailoa, um, and then just for fun, also receding votes, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, Geno Smith. Daniel Jones. Who was? Uh, who were the last two? Fields and Geno. Fields and Geno. Okay. All right. So you think that after year one, and who would be the guy? Would you go with the Smurf Bryce Young? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I of them, he should be there. Is I've been. That is blasphemous. <laughs> oh, we got a soundboard wars. Listen, it's a soundboard wars, ladies and gentlemen. My team is dead. <laughs> uh, no, I agree with you. Year one, I, could. I think that Bryce Young has the best chance to have the best year. Uh, now, the injury stuff, I'm worried about that. Smallish frame. We all know about that. Um, but year one, he's the most polished guy. I think he's in a decent situation in terms of supporting cast, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I think he's the most, you'll hear this all the time, pro-ready. I think he's the most pro-ready yeah. guy uh, stepping in. So yeah, I think that when it's said and done, I would expect um, Bryce Young to have the best rookie season. That doesn't mean, again, I don't think stardom is written all over a guy who has a good rookie season. Mac Jones had a good rookie season with yeah. the Patriots. He had the best of that quarterback draft class and where he is now. So, uh, but I, I think that Bryce Young can be the, the best rookie going uh, next year. I do think. Look, I, I know that was painful for you to say, and I, I, I you know, we're here for you in, in this troubling time. But, <laughs> but I would also agree with you that I'm not necessarily going to say that there is any correlation to, oh, well, he's the best rookie of this class, that it's guaranteed he's going to have long-term success in the NFL. But one of the marks of why he was touted as highly as he was was what you outlined, which is he's the most pro-ready of the group. That yeah. doesn't mean that the like the Panthers would all likelihood. I mean, I, I know that the South is bad, so maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but they're not going to make the playoffs in all likelihood next year. It doesn't mean that right. Bryce Young couldn't still have a good year and belong in an honorable mention list of, of 10 executive scouts and GMs. I really do think it matters what you're leaving and what you have surrounding you now. Yeah. That's why I'm so low on C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud has been surrounded by first-round wide receivers left and right. He goes from that to Tank Dell as a rookie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, come on, man. It's going to be culture shock, I think, for C.J. Stroud. If you look at Bryce Young, they did not have star-studded wide receivers. His leading receiver was a running back, Jameer Gibbs. Right. And I know he was drafted 12th overall. He's a good player, but he's a running back. Like, that's not a main weapon in the passing game for Bryce Young. So when he went from what he was surrounded by last season in college to what he's surrounded by in the NFL, I don't think there's as big of a culture shock for him as there will be for C.J. Stroud. Also, and they don't have it from last year necessarily, but it is interesting to me, and I guess I appreciate the transparency and honesty with this there's no rookies anywhere on this list going into 2023 and I think that's probably by design because you need to see what they've done in the NFL before you're going to come out here and say yeah I think they're an honorable mention candidate or oh I think they're top 10 in the entire league when they haven't taken a snap yet you know yeah no I hear you on that okay Jimmy are you a fan of uh, the big three league at all no I'm not like anti big three but I have not 
It's not crossed my TV sets this year. So, okay. no, I'm not. All right. Fair enough. But uh, for anybody who but might Ed, be. But Eddie is. And even if Eddie. he's not, I want to keep I want to keep the segment what? alive because I just ran it over That's with him. No, no, no. You're fine. Like, to me. I appreciate, appreciate the honesty. Uh, Eddie, are you a huge Big Three fan? No, he's not. A oh, not oh yes. Just, oh, yes. Yeah. All, right, all right. You know, I just eat, breathe, and sleep Big Three basketball. Okay. Well, I'll put it this way. If you're not big on the Big Three, you're probably not going to be huge about this idea either. Ooh. We'll share that with you around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Okay, so if you're not huge on the big three league, it's Ice Cube's Basketball League where it's a bunch of retired NBA players. They're playing half-court basketball. Some people like it. I haven't seen it for a long time. I don't know where you watch it. Do you have any idea? What's it on? It used to be CBS for a little bit. I don't know where it is now. But I remember early on, they had a deal with CBS. Cube has been um, I thought it used to be on ESPN, too. Could have been. Was it? Not like number two, but like as well. (laughs) It could have been. I've seen a clarification. I've seen uh, like the transcripts of a couple of Ice Cube recent interviews. And he's like, yeah, uh, it's basically the NBA trying to run us out of business. (laughs) That's what he's saying. It's like, I'm not sure that's what's going on, Cube. It might not be that popular, but whatever. But... If you're not big on the big three, you might not be huge on this idea. The Geezer Home Run Derby is what I call it. They call it the Legends Home Run Derby. But would you like to see a home run derby with 53-year-old Ken Griffey Jr., David Ortiz, Albert Pujols, Jim Tomey? Are you up for that? You want to see that? That's one of those where... Well, we just saw Albert Pujols last year. So. <laughs> yeah, that's not that crazy. He's not 53. Pujols could still hit taters, no doubt. That's one of those where... I would be willing to give it a chance the first time, but if it's if it's a flop that first go round, I'm uh, I'm done. I'm willing to have a fool me once moment type deal. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it'd be a lot like um, <laughs> I bought the pay per view of Mike Tyson. That's exactly what I was Jones thinking. Jr. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It's like you're intrigued by the star power, yeah. but then as you start, wa- oh, this is sad. Like that, yeah. that, that. That's ultimately what. The risk could be run with the Legends Home Run Derby. That's so, I'm so glad you brought that up. I can't. I remember that day, and I'm like, I'm not buying a Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. pay-per-view. And then I don't know what it was. I saw some tweet, and there was some trailer, or they showed something. I'm like, I can't help it. I got to get it. And I watched it, and I'm like, yeah. Mm, I Yeah, I shouldn't have expected much better than what I saw. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a sad showing. It was all hype, all pomp and circumstance, much like the Legends Home Run Derby could be. Yeah. But in this instance, it's a no-cash risk investment if it would be on ESPN like the rest of All-Star Weekend is. I'm I'm willing to give it again, an opportunity, a shot, because I'm a sucker for the star power. I'll tune in. I'll give it a look. But if it is anything like that Mike Tyson fight where I'm starting to feel bad for all parties involved, scrap it and let's keep things back where they were. How they called that a draw was just charity for Roy Jones Jr. Mike Tyson absolutely won that fight, yeah. but whatever. Um, yeah, the Geezer Home Run Derby, I might tune in for a second. Here's the thing. I think that they should do for the real Home Run Derby, you got to go back to 10 outs. Like this whole timed thing. Oh, really? You just, yeah, you're hitting home run after home run after home run after home run. I can't even see it land. I like 10 outs way better. I think, and again, this is out of turn. Because It'd be better if they followed the rules. Of Which the part? current one? 
Yes, if they follow the rules of you're not supposed to swing or the next pitches must be released right. until the previous pitch lands. Right, right. Yeah, because they don't do that at all. I agree nope. with I agree with that aspect of it. And the other side of it, though, this is out of my realm of expertise, but visually it's being failed by the TV crews to some extent. I don't know what the solution right, is, right. but there's got to be a better way from a broadcast presentation to do it where it doesn't feel like you're on in a bad VR headset with your head spinning left and right with every yeah. bomb that's launched in the night. I did think they the camera angle that they did behind the batters. I didn't mind with, that with like towards left center. Yep. I thought that was great. And Statcast had a, n- another nice way of doing it again. That was ESPN two feed, which the argument is, well, put that on the main feed if it's better. Uh, they had a clear like trajectory outline, kind of like the Top Golf tracker with where the home run oh, balls yeah. were going, and you could follow it relatively easy in that regard. So th- there's got to be a way to solve it. But I st- I love the high paced tenacity of it. It's more of the visual way it's presented that bugs me more. Maybe you might if you can if you're tighten there in the person, screws on that. If you're yeah. there in person, I'm sure it's electric. Like you're not having to worry about yeah. the type of issues that a home viewer is with all the jittery cameras. I think it's similar. I mean, you can watch what you want to when you're there. Yeah, but it's like your eyes are just shifting back and forth. You're like, okay, I got to see him hit that one. All right, I kind of want to see if that's a home run or where it's gonna. Oh, he just hit another one. Where's that ball? Like. <laughs> I feel, I feel like you ever see cats chasing a, a reflection, sure, yes. like a laser pointer. Yes. Or something? Yeah, yeah. You ever exactly. a laser pointer or your cell phone, <laughs> and they're just looking at the wall, and you're like, "Hey, check this out!" And they're just like, "They're." That's how I feel watching yeah. the home run derby. Let me I, ask I like you this. the outs. I like the outs better. Like when you get to nine outs, and it's like he's got to hit three more home runs. He's only got one more out. I like that. I do too. And let me ask you this: Have you ever been to Victory Field? I'm assuming the answer is yes. I have. Uh, hopefully. Victory Field. It's here It's here locally, Brian. It's where the, the Indianapolis Indians play. Yeah. Is it by the, the thingy? By the water? By, 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 <laughs> <laughs> not that thingy, a different thingy by the water. Uh, it's, it's right across the JW. No, haven't been there. Okay, so, Jimmy, this is a question for you then, I suppose. Okay. If the Home Run Derby came to Indianapolis with like Major League players, do you think we would see a player hit one off the Marriott? Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I mean... It, Without knowing, like, unless you have the answer, what the distance is oh, from it's home plate to, I, I assume far. there's no way. I don't know. I would say no. That'd be cool. It would be awesome. <laughs> it would be fantastic. I would assume no, though. It'd be a nice free ticket, you know, sitting up there in your hotel room looking out like, hey, look, home run derby. By the way, I have to, it just popped in my head. You said this off air just a couple of minutes ago, Eddie. You got to give us an update. What is the process of you like pouring water on your toothbrush, like pre toothpaste, post toothpaste, not at all? Where are you right now? I just apply water pre toothpaste and not after anymore. It's a different feeling. I can tell you that. It feels cleaner? Yes. Yeah. I thought you said the winning strategy was don't put any water before you start it. I thought that was the key change. I've changed my ways. Okay. So I read a story. There were a couple of dentists, and they were like, don't put water on it whatsoever. And I read their reasons, and they were like, it weakens the bristles. I'm like, that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. And I thought about it. I told my mom that. I'm like, what psycho would not pour water on their toothbrush? And she was like, me, (laughs) basically. She's like, I don't do that. And I was like, really? And so we talked about it. I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. And I tried it, and I don't hate it at all. I've gone no water. No water on my toothbrush. I used to bookend it. I used to go pre-toothpaste, post-toothpaste. And I don't think that's a bad way to do it. 
But uh, I've gone no water. And I feel it's a different sensation for sure. But there's enough moisture. I don't know if this changes mouth to mouth. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Got a different level going. I don't know what's going on there. But there's enough moisture where it's not bad at all. And uh, I like it. I I don't hate it at all. I didn't make the flip. I did try it once. I agree, it felt different, and then yeah. I think I forgot about the next day and kept my way. So maybe I'll maybe I'll try to jump back. Did you just on go that. pre. Yes, you yeah. just go pre. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Eddie was pre and post. Now he's just the pregame host. <laughs> is what we're yep. talking about here with yep. toothpaste. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not on the pregame show at all or the postgame show. <laughs> You're the headliner. Yeah. You're just right there in the action. I've been nixed from all coverage. <laughs> is what's going on here. All right, we got Mike Chapel around the corner. Let's talk some Colts with Mike here. All the running back news from yesterday, Saquon, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, none of them got long-term extensions. What does it mean for Jonathan Taylor and much beyond that as far as the Colts go? That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Mike Chappell. Covers the Colts for CBS4. And Fox 59 joins us here on the fan. Uh, Mike, we'll get to Jonathan Taylor in a second, but I, I just have to ask for curiosity's sake. Uh, do you pour water on your toothbrush, okay, before you put toothpaste on, after you put toothpaste on, or or not at all? What do you do? Yes, after. After? To- toothpaste on the brush, rinse it on, and then go to work. There you go. And that, that's a process that works out. Not a pre-go, a pre-guy, though, huh? You don't do it beforehand, just post. Well, why would you water it down until you've got something to water down? <laughs> Makes sense to I'm me. All, I'm all into conservation. Uh, yeah, hey, man, I get Well, that's a good segue to the running back market, right? Because teams are all in uh, to conservation over here. No long-term deals, as you well know, for the top three running backs that were in line for an extension, Saquon, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, what do you think of that? And more importantly, how does it relate to Jonathan Taylor going forward? Well, I, I, I don't think, I mean, it, it impacts him because it's showing what the market, what teams believe the market is. And these are good teams with very good players. It's a little different because if, I, if I've seen right, Barkley and, uh, and one of the other guys, uh, Jacobs, won't be, aren't expected to report for training camp under the franchise. Like they they will at some point because it's it's still ten million dollars. I mean, come on, let's get real. But Taylor's under contract, so it's a little different. If he goes to the extreme of not showing up, he gets fined. These other guys technically aren't under contract, so you don't find them. But it, it, it it's to me it is sort of an odd situation because it, it it's almost team to team. And I would argue that Taylor has maybe more value to the Colts than the other players have to their teams. I think Juan Barkley is probably very, very similar because of, you know, Daniel Jones and all that. But it it just makes so much sense to get Taylor done. I'm I'm, I'm certainly the... Numbers have to work for each side, which is why something's not done. Is because one side wants more and one side wants to pay less. 
But if you look at the extreme case, any extension for Taylor has got to be worth, I don't know, $24 million guaranteed. Because that's what this year's contract and two two franchise tags the next two years would be worth. Minimum $25 million. And so, so it makes sense to get a long-term deal to where you're not doing the tag. The tag is a protection allowed by the players. Keep in mind, these franchise tags were, were bargained in place. The players agreed the franchise transition tags in the labor agreement. They get something they wanted. They gave the owners the, the, this this ability to keep their high-end players. So as much as the hand-wringing that players do, players agreed to this. Now, it's only going to obviously going to impact a very, very small number of players, the really, really good players. But uh, I, I, I just think that it, it, it makes sense for both sides to get done. It extends the Colts' practice of drafting and rewarding your own Shaq, Braden Smith, Naheem Hines, and Grover Stewart, and on and on. And it gives it gives Taylor some financial security that doesn't it doesn't involve playing out this year and being tagged twice. And, and that would send such an awful message in the locker room, in my mind, to make arguably, in my mind, their best player. To me, he's their best player. And making him play out his contract and then, you know, franchise, franchise, it, it would just be a really, really bad message. So it, it, it obviously hinges on how much the Colts are willing to, to, to give and to some degree, no, to a lot of degree, how much Taylor is willing to accept. And you can say, well, play out your contract, and then, boy, you hit the free agent market. Well, we've seen what the free agent market is for these guys. It's not what, you know, Joe Mixon, who's a great running back, took a pay cut. Normally on restructures, all players do is push money forward. He took a pay cut. I think I saw was it five million this year and four million next year, or vice versa. That's really rare. You know, Dalvin Cook gets cut after four quality years. So it's a lot of times players say, "Well, yeah, I'll play it that up, Grant and Barrett." But boy, I've got free agency ahead. Well, why would anyone think the market's going to get better for running back? So this is really a, a, a dicey situation where. Both sides have valid arguments, but I think Taylor's got more, not leverage, but a better argument because of his value to the team. He's still young. You know, this the, the, the Colts aren't, won't be looking at Taylor as their running back for the next five or six years. That, that's not the case. They've got to be looking at him as their, as their running back for the next two years, maybe three years. So it, it just makes sense to get something done that's really maybe a two-year. We've talked this may be a two-year deal with guaranteed money. The third year can be whatever you want it to be. But his value to the Colts is so 
significant because you, you got I don't care whether you get the rookie quarterback or you got Minshew. This is going to be a team that wants to run the ball. If the offensive line gets back to playing decent, they will run the ball. And Taylor is the focal point. So I, I think something gets done, but it's got to be something that works for both sides. Chap, when I look around the league right now, and this is, I know you chuckle at it because it's just, it's what modern sports journalism is at this point, is reacting to everything, including tweets on Twitter. And, you know, you have running backs across the board, Derek Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, just to name a few, coming out publicly in support of their position group. And, and I admire that. And I, I think it's great that they are expressing their frustrations. But you talk about the need to get an extension done with Jonathan Taylor and the desire, you'd think, by both parties to get one done. But but Derrick Henry makes $12.5 million a year annually, and that's the third highest annual evaluation in professional football. And that's about my mark for where I'd be comfortable two or three years, regardless, paying for Jonathan Taylor. I would assume, with that only being $2.5 million above a tag this year, I know it doesn't impact JT, but just for the example, that he wants more than that. And... I get it. Like I understand he wants to fight for that, but it's a lost cause with where the tag is and how they negotiated it because he could play out the year, but at the end of the day, all the Colts have to do is, you don't want 12 and a half? All right, here's a tag for 11 or 12 flat. I, I just I don't see a way for them to fix this issue other than complicating their own individual contract situations. Well, I, I don't disagree. And that's why it's such a complicated uh, issue. It's just hard to believe that we've gotten to the point that running backs are so devalued, and they are. Mm-hmm. It used to be, well, you, you know, I remember the Bill Pulley years. It really was play them for four years and, and just work the heck out of them, and then you move on. Now, it was a little different with Edge, although he didn't get a second contract. His rookie contract, if I remember, was a six-year deal, so it's apples and oranges, sort of. But teams are finding out that even if you get a really, really, really good back, Dalvin Cook, you know, was it four straight thousand yards and Pro Bowls and all that, that it's such a passing league that you can find a guy. And that's such a slap in the face to every running back that, boy, you're really good, but yeah, we, we, we can find a replacement. So you, you're right. That's why if the Colts want to play hardball, you say, okay, I think it's $4 million this year as a base, and then we'll give you, you know, the franchise tag will be 11 or something next year, and it'll be 12 the next year. Yeah, that's why it seems like any extension, if they do it, it's got to at least equal his pay this year in two franchise tags, which again is 25, 26, whatever, whatever, whatever they are. And whether they're willing to do that, I just have to believe that he's got easily three good years in him. I just do. And, and to think that you can replace him in the offseason, I, I guess you can. But he, he is an elite player in his position. He's still young. He would have had a, a, a decent year last year. I don't even know what was it, four or five games, whatever it was. He still averaged four and a half yards to carry. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't just awful. 
and he was, you know, his effectiveness was impacted by the offensive line and the, and the ankle injury. He has not been an injured player, so I don't think I don't think that's an issue. It's just going to be their what they want to commit to a running back, even a great one. And they wouldn't. I don't think they would do it. But you go into negotiations and say he's a running back. He had the greatest season by a Colts running back ever two years ago, 1,800 yards and whatever it was from scrimmage and the touchdowns, and we didn't make the playoffs. So how good was he? Well, it certainly wasn't his fault that they didn't make the playoffs. So I I just think that, and again, I keep going back to, to one thing that maybe impacts, maybe doesn't. When we talked to JT the last time, it was, he stressed his value in the community and all that. Well, that's good, but that's not going to have much weight. I just think it, it, it reinforces the team's practice of rewarding their own. Quentin Nelson, I mean, all these guys I, I, I rattle off that's gotten second contracts. And, and to think that they all of a sudden w- would play hardball with – Again, to me, their best player. We could argue the, the best player and all that, but but to, to to play hardball and hold the line on him. Now, if he's wanting fifteen, sixteen million a year, I just he's not going to get it. I just don't think he's going to get it. I always thought the, the the contract that I would have liked for both sides to go after, and, and he wouldn't agree. Probably Nick Chubb got three years. 36-6, what's that, 13-3 a year. I think that's a nice contract. I'm not sure he would want to settle for that, but there's going to have to be compromise on each side. I just keep going back to their practices have been rewarding your own. And this will be a break from that if they don't do it. And players will, players will notice. Other players will notice that that all of a sudden you're not – rewarding your own. That's why I say I think it gets done providing his side shows a little bit of of, of compromise and the Colts compromise by paying him more than, than what they might want to pay him. He's Mike Chappell joining us here on The Fan. You mentioned that the players, they agreed to this system. And I'm not saying they're dumb, but sometimes in the moment you don't foresee how badly things will end up and it's been a horrible system for running backs in particular did they know at the time what they were saying yes to in your opinion sure because because whatever the number of players do the math uh 60 players by 32 let's say 2,000 players this is only impacting 10 players 12 players so the vast majority of players will never, ever be impacted by the franchise tag. They just won't. And maybe they, they fought for better benefits, whatever. And if, if, if the vast majority of the players wanted X instead of fighting for Y, which would have been a franchise tag or whatever, that's not, it's just not going to be a factor because the majority – it isn't going to be ever, ever impacted by by these tags. So I'm not surprised that the players allowed this because it's not going to impact them. It's going to impact, again, 
a dozen players a year, maybe. So that, that's one where I, I just think that the majority of the players that that, that's not going to impact me. I want I want this. I'm more than willing to give. You know, maybe they wanted you know less workout time in the off season or better benefits, whatever. And they weren't even. You're not going to get the majority of the players to go to war to save. You know, the the the, the running backs or the tight ends on franchise tags. They're, they'll never do that. Chap, why do you think it is that with basketball, for instance, and I know the salaries are different, so maybe not from a financial standpoint, but just a uproar standpoint from within the sport. Why do you think it is there hasn't been this huge backlash of like old archaic big men that used to dominate said sport and feel like they're left out of the equation versus here in football where, again, running back isn't necessarily obsolete, but just the way that it's gone about being valued has diminished to a point where, I mean, yes, particularly middle of the pack to bottom salaries or closer to kickers and punters then those shouldn't be embarrassed about it being that close why do you think there's this big of uproar with this position group specifically when it might just be a fact of the sport has changed it's changed what is valued as premium must have no cost is too great within that sport well i think a big reason is we're in a dead period of news these six weeks or eight weeks whatever whatever it's been and we're all looking for something to write about. But the players are the ones that are talking about it is my issue, oh, Chaplin. Yeah. They're standing up for themselves yeah. with it in such a way you just don't see in a lot of other sports. Well, but then that's the social media that, that wasn't as prevalent sure, sure. many, many years ago. And, you know, I, I was really, I've been surprised sort of pleasantly, I think, that JT has been vocal. Because I remember at the end of the last season, he sort of took the approach, yeah, uh, an extension be nice, but you know, I signed a four-year deal. I knew what I was doing, and yeah, which made it sound like he'll be a good soldier. Now, all of a sudden, the last time we talked to him, it was like, you know, we're going to explain to him my, my value and this, that, and the other. And he really, maybe it was a change of agents. Maybe that was it. He's taken on, I'm not saying militant, but, but, but a more aggressive, you know, look. I better look out for me. And, and, I, and I think across the league, other players, I think they do tend to come to the defense of, of their colleagues. And when one player or one position group starts getting attacked, they sort of say, hey, wait a minute. You know, we have value. And to think that Derrick Henry doesn't have value to Tennessee is crazy. They, they built that franchise around him. Uh, but, but when it comes to the Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barclays, it's really a strange time in the NFL to where now I, I tell you, I saw one guy tweet that did, it was just stupid how he compared <laughs> running backs to field goal kickers. Mm. The, the the average, you know, salary was like, was it 2.6 to 2.3 or whatever it was. And that was that, that's where if you're really good at your job in the media, you can make numbers sing if you want them to. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about comparing 32 kickers to every team has like four running backs, and three of them are, are making minimum. So it's gonna, it's just going to drag the numbers down. So when I saw that, I thought, no, of all the arguments you're going to make, don't make that one. But I, I do think running backs are getting the short end of the stick, especially the really good ones. 
you know, where would Vegas be without Josh Jacobs? I mean, he, he was like, was it 40% of their offense last year, or at least our touches? And, again, it, it just goes back to where back in the day it was, hey, get five years out of, out of a running back, and, and we'll move on. Bill Poole, you know, I used to take the approach, I'd rather get rid of a running back a year too soon than a year too late on a contract. And maybe we're seeing that again. And I go back to as great of a year as JT had two years ago, the Colts didn't make the playoffs. And, again, that's not to you know, downgrade him at all because that was a fantastic season. But who's the last league rushing champ to make the Super Bowl? I guess Sean Alexander. It's just such a passing league and quarterback-driven. But at least locally, this this team still should and needs to value the running back because Anthony Richardson needs that, that running running attack. Minshew needs it. So this is a little different. I compare it again, like I said, I compare it to Barkley and the Giants. But I think his value, JT's value here, is more than it might be with other teams. I think something gets done only because it makes sense, but uh, we'll see how this thing pans out. It's a very, very interesting situation with JT and the Colts. No doubt about that. Mike, appreciate your time today, man. Hope you have a good rest of the day. You guys too, but stay in touch. Thanks, Chap. Absolutely. There he is, Mike Chappell. Covers the Colts for CBS4 and Fox 59. Man, there's a lot to react to right mm-hmm. there. I think that <laughs> maybe we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh, Jonathan Taylor versus these other running backs. Who brings more value to the table? Because I think that's an interesting discussion. But like my mind, it goes to Hollywood of all things, Jimmy. Where I'm thinking, like, what would make things better for the running backs of the league as a whole? You'd have to do like a writer's strike. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like literally, you'd have to have running backs across the league being like, "We're not playing." Until we get our just due. Because short of that, the money isn't going to go where it should. It's not the market. They're not going to. Once the market goes down, these NFL teams are like, sweet. This is It's like buying a house when the market is down. You're like, awesome. You're not like, well, that sucks. I'd rather pay more right now. Yeah. It's going to continue to go down. That's just where we are with the running back market. There, There's not a clear avenue for this to get resolved in a way that makes running backs across the board happy the outlines that we had established earlier in the show about maybe it starts with when they're drafted and maybe there's a change or two to the rookie wage scale with how it impacts what running backs can earn because a lot of that you correct me if i'm wrong brian but the big news of when they had modified and instituted the rookie wage scale is because teams were tired of giving out these hundred just crazy long contracts specifically to quarterbacks that either would get hurt or didn't pan out the way they wanted to and they were set back a decade in terms of their franchise development so like those precautions are necessary and important but maybe it needs to be more focused by position kind of like the tag is you know And, and that's something though that regrettably isn't going to be discussed or worked out until the next CBA, which is, I don't have it in front of me, but I mean, I know it's a a little bit down the road if I'm not mistaken. So your pathway is strike individually or as a collective unit. Good luck with the latter because there's running backs that are in the twilight of their careers that are still valuable backs that are making six million, eight million $8 million next year that are happy with where they're at. So, so good luck with that happening league wide. 
Uh, I don't know the players union would fully support that because then you're having to like you're having to have internal squabble amongst yourselves of oh should it just be the running back should we all try to stake a stand and I don't see a pathway other than individual fights and the individual fights in one of two ways the running back ends up reporting to camp or the running back forfeits the money that was owed to him so this is interesting so you go back before the rookie wage scale and you're right Jimmy that was implemented mainly because these teams that had bad records that were picking at the top of the draft, that was supposed to be the good thing, that they'd get a top pick. But because it was basically uncapped, like you'd have to give all this money to a player that might not pan out. And then it's it's a double whammy. Not only did you miss on your pick, but you're financially tied to the guy. So that was one of the reasons that they changed it, where there's a, a rookie wage scale. So the last year before the rookie wage scale, Sam Bradford was the top pick in 2010. His contract, six-year deal worth $78 million, $50 million guaranteed as a rookie. Like, compare that to Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, all top five picks. They're not sniffing $50 million over the, the long haul of their, of their uh, rookie deal. Now, you go back a few years before that as it relates to running backs. So you have to go back to 2006 was the uh, of the non-rookie wage scale era, right? You go to Reggie Bush, number two overall pick, 2006 with the Saints. Now, compare this to Saquon Barkley. Okay, Saquon was the number two overall pick. Reggie Bush, back in 06, number two overall pick, six-year deal worth $62 million dollars. <laughs> Over $26.5 million guaranteed. Reggie Bush in 2006. <laughs> he got more guaranteed money than quarterbacks now. Like, that's how much it's changed. And so for running backs, you talk about getting the short end of the stick. My goodness. It screws them more than anybody because, look, Aaron Rodgers is bordering 40 years old. You can play well into your 30s at many different positions. Not the case with running backs. So you're under team protect. You're under team control if you're a first-round pick for the first five years. Then you could get slapped with the franchise tag a couple of years. You're inching closer to 30 every single year yeah. when you're a free agent. It doesn't matter. No one wants to pay you anyway. And again, it is that regression of that age threshold, right? Because 30, much like that, is what was the going rate in 06. North of 30 was the danger zone territory. I over-exaggerated a little bit there, but it's clear present day. Like We would not be having this conversation about a 24-year-old Jonathan Taylor in this same way even five seasons ago with the type of hesitation of, eh, should you pay him? I mean, it's, it's dangerous. He's going to be 27 by the time that three-year deal's done. That's not a conversation you were having with legitimate fear, and now you are because you look at just the most recent wave of running backs that have been cut. Like, Dalvin Cook, if the market winds up where it is, I don't know, it'll probably be somewhere between like 2 and $7 million. But like, if you're a contender that needs a running back that has cap space, like Dalvin Cook, Zeke Elliott, like there's options there, but that's options because that's the life cycle of running backs now. You go to trapped in a rookie wage scale, maybe tagged a year or two, and then unless you get a team that knows they have to keep you, a la Derrick Henry, a la probably the Colts, you end up going into free agency by the time you're in that 30 danger zone range and you're a role player. You're a by committee back. 
You're a Damian Williams who has long-term success in terms of winning a Super Bowl with the Chiefs and being a big factor in that team made like $2 million that year. I mean, yeah. that, that's just that's just the state of what a running back is in today's NFL. And I don't know how I don't know how depreciate depreciated the value is gone because uh. it, I would pay in the blink of an eye, not just because that's what you see in the NFL. I value wide receivers and quarterbacks more. Well, I, I hear you. I get that. But like there's a line to it, right? It's not. Look, look at this guy. Look at Evan Ingram. OK, Evan Ingram with the Jags. Because he was a guy that was slapped with the franchise tag. He came to a long-term extension Mm -hmm. with Jacksonville. And so they added two more years onto this contract where he's got the the tag this year and they tacked on a couple extra years. But you're talking in the neighborhood of $40 million over a three-year span. Like, compare that to running backs. Compare it to these top guys. Uh, Josh Jacobs led the league in rushing. He had over 2,000 yards from scrimmage last season. Saquon had over 1,300 yards rushing. Uh, That was his best year. Um, Austin Eckler, we talked about how much he brought to the table. Led the league in touchdowns for a second straight year. Had 107 catches. Guy had over, I think, what, 1,600 yards from scrimmage? Roughly around there? Mm -hmm. Uh, Compare that to Evan Ingram. I mean, Evan Ingram had a nice season for Jacksonville. He's not producing what those guys are producing. It's a different position. Yet he's getting broken off. (laughs) It's just like, how... What is happening over here, right? It's it's the twilight zone as far as running backs compared to... I get it. Quarterbacks, wide receivers, fine. But compare it to a franchise-tagged tight end in Evan Ingram who got broken off and the top running backs didn't. And they didn't even get a sniff. Yep. It's crazy. Ingram is where that disparity is for me. But, like, there's... We've seen tight ends, the really, really great ones be valued in that same vein as a wide receiver. So I'm not as mad about like comparing Travis Kelsey to Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey. But yeah, when you get towards the, okay, you're looking at the 10th or 12th best running back in the league compared to the 10th or 12th best tight end, and when the salary disparity is there, yeah, that's where I start to have an issue with it. Yeah, and that's why no one's arguing, hey, running backs should make the same as quarterbacks. Or make the same as wide receivers. Well, the running backs might argue that. (laughs) I don't even think they're saying something that crazy. But they're basically saying, Austin Eckler, his own words. He was like, wait a minute, the third string wide receiver is making more than me? That's that's his argument. That's what he's saying. He's not like, wait a minute, Justin Herbert is going to make more than me? What's up with that? He's saying this. If I'm looking at some of the backup receivers out here that are still making more than me, that's going to piss me off. <laughs> so he's like, I'm producing more. However you want to slice it, I'm more productive. And I make a fraction of what those those guys are making. I hear that argument loud and clear. But where it needs to be had, Ben, is in the... It, it needs to be had in certain areas of the salary. Like, it, it needs to be pinpointed what they're gripe is with because most of the depth chart and this again goes back to Mike's point and and we all know it well that you can make numbers for the most part support anything you're trying to paint you need to really dive into everything as a whole it's a what six million dollar a year if I'm reading this right six million dollars a year is what Austin Eckler's getting right around 6.1 most of the Chargers wide receivers from an annual salary standpoint are making less than him, but they're making more guaranteed money. So it needs right. to be made up in terms of middle ground. And I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where those type of real terms and agreements 
or the terms that are wanted, like the writer's strike, like you mentioned, where we're seeing what yeah. these proposals are. I don't think we'll ever see that in the public eye, which makes it hard to pick one side or the other here. I don't see two good guys or bad guys here. I see two people making reasonable arguments, both ownership and the players in this case. Okay, coming up, Jimmy. I think this is the argument running backs should be making. And also, Jonathan Taylor. Is he more valuable to the Colts than guys like Saquon, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, um, uh, Tony Pollard? Those guys are to their teams. That's on the way as well. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. You know, I, I think that... Um, some of these running backs are making bad arguments, Jimmy. You know, I, I want to be the uh, the guy that argues on behalf of running backs. <laughs> What's your that, cut? That is going to sound very like hoity-toity of me. I, I hate the way this is going to land because it's almost like I'm patting them on the head like, oh, that's a nice try. Let me take it from here because your arguments suck. Like, it's true. But Austin Eckler, he put out there, Chargers running back, part of his tweet was, it's tough to win without a top running back. False. Not true. That's a bad argument. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at the playoffs last year. There are many teams that made it to the playoffs, made noise. Like the Bills. They don't have a top running back. Mm-hmm. They were a two seed. Um, look at Jacksonville. Travis Etienne took a step forward, but top running back? Yeah, a little bit of a stretch. Who's the Ravens' top running back? All the running backs were injured. Yep. Dolphins? They have a top running back? No. How about the Eagles? They were a one seed. They were in the Super Bowl. Miles Sanders is a good running back. They let him go. He's gone. He's not a top guy, right? So I think that's a bad argument. Najee Harris of the Steelers, part of his tweet, he wrote, we set the tone every game. Wrong. Not true. There are plenty of games where the running game doesn't do jack. It's not even a part of the game plan. It's a pass-heavy game plan. Like You don't set the tone every game. This is the argument running back should be making, Jimmy. The money doesn't match the production. That's it. We should be getting paid more because we produce more than what we're financially compensated. That's what it is. The money doesn't match the production. Keep it as simple as possible. Don't give me this, we're discardable widgets. It's tough to win without top running backs. We set the tone every game. Like It's just false, 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 false. A lot of these points are just wrong. What's factually correct is the money doesn't match the production. Josh Jacobs... What he did last year and what he's being given, $10 million for over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, the money doesn't match the production. That's the argument. So in that same vein as you being from the law offices of no, no, and no, trying (laughs) to represent the uh, (laughs) running backs and their cleaner, Uh better arguments, how does that get solved? Like Even if I'm an owner and I say, yeah, I agree with you, but uh, that's just where we're at. Sorry. It doesn't. I think that the happy medium would be short-term deals for more money. That's where I think it is. Like Mike Chappell just talked about Nick Chubb's deal. It was three years, $36 million. So it's not long. It's not a a Ezekiel Elliott, six years, $90 million. That's crazy. I think that the best hope for running backs, you're not going to get the five years, you know, $80 million contracts. What if it's a, a two-year deal for $25 million? You know what I mean? Like yeah. You're looking for a two-, three-year deal for a bigger financial gain. 
that's where I think it could go. That's the best hope for running backs um, because it's not going to be the best of both worlds where you get the long-term security and you also get the big money. That That's just not going to happen. But to your point, what I'm saying might not even happen either. That's just your best hope. Radical idea here. It would never happen, but just for the sake of where the running backs are coming from. And I've seen this on a couple different spots in terms of like just the think pieces, just coverage on this issue. Do you think if the NFL was a salary cap free league that running backs in terms of how they are paid compared to the rest mm. of the league would have a <laughs> an increase or better situation than they do now? That's a fantastic question. And it might not matter at all. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you might just be paying quarterbacks and wide receivers even more than they're getting now. If there's no salary cap, what's Patrick Mahomes making? I know he makes a lot now. He'd be making more. So, as crazy as it sounds, running backs might make less. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, no salary cap. That's how I feel about it too. Because you would have teams that, like, sure, you might have your anomaly top-heavy teams that have a ton of money to spend. We'll throw the Cowboys out there as the prime example of okay, they're they're have the ability to do whatever they want to do, but I'd spend it on every other luxury position and then can continue to be as financially sound as I can at the running backs slot. Or who knows? Maybe they would just say, break all the glass and let's just overpay everybody. But for the rest of the league, as you look around and you see it in baseball all the time, for a lot of teams, you can only afford to pay one, maybe two guys, top tier, upper echelon, crazy yeah. eye-popping money. And then the rest you're filling out with team-friendly deals and maybe a couple overpays here or there, but not a ton with running backs. Like, If you were to do that to make it one-year deals make more sense, well, for the team, it's still impacting my cap space. I would need some cap relief on that in some regard if I wanted to pay more up front on a one-year, two-year deal to make running backs happier. How does that impact the other position groups? And then if you're having a modification of the cap, you can't just have it for running backs. You'd have to have it league-wide. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's uh man, it's crazy to think. <laughs> imagine if the NFL was like, no more salary caps and the running backs are like, sweet, finally. And it still doesn't make a difference. It really could work out that way. Um, let's circle back to Jonathan Taylor, because Mike Chappell brought this up. He thinks that Jonathan Taylor brings more value to the Colts than the three running backs that didn't get long term extensions do. Saquon with the Giants, Josh Jacobs with the Raiders. Tony Pollard with the Cowboys. I, I hear him. I mean, I, I totally get it. I think the best argument against that would be Saquon yeah. with the Giants because what's different with Saquon, he's a number two overall pick. I've said it, Jimmy. I don't think it makes any sense to draft a guy number two overall and then not give him a long-term extension when he's been productive. I know he's been banged up for the better part of three years, but he bookended rookie season, fifth year last year. Great seasons. So if you draft a guy number two, that's a premium pick. That's like buying a Lamborghini and not changing the oil and just not taking care right. of it whatsoever. Right. Like, eh, flat tires, who cares? Let's just drive it anyway. Right? Like, why? Why would you put that much money and that much value into a number two overall pick and then not extend the guy? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. But that's where Saquon is different from JT is that the Giants have invested more in terms of draft capital in Saquon than the Colts have with JT. So I think that enters the equation. But then if you just look at them side-by-side, side, value they bring to the table, 
a young quarterback in Anthony Richardson, certainly not as seasoned as Daniel Jones, been around for five years, right? So, yeah, I think that JT brings more value to the table. But I don't know if it's going to do him any good when it's time to negotiate. Taylor has the edge in that comparison battle because even with the unknown around Anthony Richardson, we know what Daniel Jones is. And because quarterbacks are the hot commodity, the Giants had to pay him anyway. In the same way that eventually a deal had to get done with the Ravens and the and Lamar Jackson, even though, again, that was a deal that favored the Ravens versus the Giants deal is uh, you paid him that. That's that, that's what. OK. All right. You know, good luck. Go get him. But that offense and the straw that stirs that offensive drink, if you will, is Saquon Barkley and his high end years are the more productive years of this iteration of Giants football. On the Josh Jacobs side of things, look, we've outlined it. They've outlined it themselves. The Raiders are a bad football team. Like, they just, they, they are. They make moves. They make splashy signings in the hopes that it's going to fix things with them. But they've been in a tailspin for the better part of the last 10 to 12 years outside of that one window where Derek Carr looked like he might be the next great quarterback in the NFL, then he broke his leg. Colts-wise, there's still enough unknown with Anthony Richardson where, and how young Jonathan Taylor is, he is more valuable than all of them because he's the only thing with a real high-level pulse on the offensive end. So that's why he wins out in my mind. But it is close to your point with where Saquon is and how lack of trust I have with Daniel Jones. Are you surprised, Jimmy, that the franchise tag even exists? Because I am. If you compare I know this is the system that the players agreed to, but, man, I don't, I don't know if they thought it would be this bad. <laughs> because think about this. There's a lot of risk involved, not just for running backs, for anybody who's tagged. Uh, Lamar Jackson was tagged, right? Where you're getting your money, but there's some fine print to read. You're getting heavily compensated, depending on your position, for one year, like the highest of your position group. But what happens if you suffer this big-time injury? It's going to affect your long-term money. I just think of the NBA. You're a big NBA guy. Imagine if the NBA said, you know what? We're going to do what the NFL does. We're going to introduce the franchise tag. And so instead of you getting your long-term security and this long-term deal and a bunch of guaranteed money, it's going to be one year. And you're going to make a lot of money for one year. But if you get hurt, then I guess you're kind of screwed because it could impact your long-term. They would freak out. They would lose their minds if you introduce something like that. I'm just surprised the franchise tag in the NFL exists. Well, again, this is... I would love to play the role of I had this in the memory banks, but I'll be fully transparent. I looked it up during the segment uh, to our fine audience. The tag was introduced in 1993. Uh, Pat Bolin, owner of the Broncos at the time, it became referred to as the Elway rule because he was worried about signing a CBA with free agency happening because he might lose his star quarterback to free agency. And so a compromise there between the NFL and the players union was to have a this franchise tag that would allow you to be able to retain or at least keep more control in theory of players that you would worry you could lose. The only NBA equivalent to it, and maybe this is the solution. I don't know if the owners would ever take it, but maybe this is the solution. Restricted free agency is the equivalent in the NBA. And that is where it's not just one party that you're stuck with. You're stuck with the tag in the NFL. There's no counters. There's no nothing. With restricted free agency, a team can make a big offer to the player, and then the team can either match mm-hmm. or they can let him go. Like th- That is the closest equivalent that would be player personnel decision-making 
and a free agency type impact that the tag has in the NFL. The difference is it's more player friendly in theory with restricted free agency because multiple teams can bid on said player with the original owner of the player having the ability to match. Yeah, that's the closest thing you get. Would that fix but- it? I mean, it, 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 the reason I would say no, it probably wouldn't fix it is this isn't a it's a team by team issue, but it's the accepted practice around the league at this point. It is no longer a standard that running backs are the sole aspect of an offense to build around in today's NFL. This isn't just one team that's doing it. It's multiple teams that realize we're not going to pay you the type of money that you think you're worth because look around the league. That's not what running backs are evaluated as right now. I don't know if it'd change it. I don't know. I don't know that it would. Um, It would be different. It It would certainly be a lot different. It's just... Man, the amount of control that NFL teams have over the players that they draft. It's, again, like the NBA thing is what blows my mind is, could you imagine a franchise tag in the NBA? Like, I can't at all. And that's what we got in the NFL. Like, imagine, like, take it a step further. It's like suspend reality for a second. Imagine if there was a running back like position in the NBA for whatever reason. Let's just say that centers broke down a lot faster. Like when you got to 30, that might be it. And then imagine on top of that, if there's a franchise tag in the NBA, you know what I mean? (laughs) That's what we got. It's insane. But this is it's just the way it is now. If you're talking about the early 90s. NFL ownership just shrugs their shoulders and say, this is the the system. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, change it now? Because it benefits them. <laughs> it, it used to be for them to help protect superstars, and now it has become a tool for... And fans do it all the time. If you're doing at-home general managing, you look at the roster, who's a breakout player that's about to get a big payday, tag him. Yeah. Save the money, yeah. tag him, keep him under team control, spend elsewhere. Yeah. All right, I got some fantastic audio for you here, Jimmy. And I think it's going to be a a great little interlude to some winning gambling picks from you. We'll do that right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Man, I... I can just see you doing the running man to this, you know, maybe a little sprinkler action. I don't know the go-to moves for one you there, for, One Jimmy. for two is not bad, and no, it wasn't the sprinkler. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, are you a fan of Queen at all? Yes. Yeah? Yes. I, well, I, I sang far too loudly, Don't Stop Me Now, at a wedding this past weekend. Did you? Oh, yeah. Was it a good rendition? Are we sure it's not Aerosmith? Oh, come on now. <laughs> fair, but no. No. How about Bohemian Rhapsody? Are you a fan of that song? Yeah, I do like it. Yes, I don't. Okay. I, don't know the vocal range for a lot of it, but I, but I do enjoy Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, that's good. So you'll enjoy this. This is from a, a weatherman in Houston on CW thirty nine. He just uh, he he works in the lyrics to the song within his weather casts over here, and he just does a mashup here. Check this out. 
Clear sky in Houston in the morning. Is this the real life or is this just fantasy? If you're just waking up and joining us, open your eyes, look up to the skies and see some sunshine. This time of year, we still get cold fronts, so the warm air is easy come, easy go. And relative to average, we're a little high, a little low. Anyway, the wind blows doesn't really matter to me, to me as long as rain holds off for the weekend. But that doesn't necessarily look like it's going to be the case. I see a little silhouette of a rain cloud out there in the distance over the Gulf. That rain staying offshore, though, this morning. If you have outdoor plans, late in the day Saturday. You're thinking thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. I don't expect any severe weather here, but certainly some downpours. Goodbye, everybody. I've got to go. Got to leave you all behind and face the truth that no wait weather and traffic ends now. But Houston Happens is coming up next. Pretty good job, huh? Yeah. Is this the audio that you were cutting with the cat bothering your headphones? I'm glad that you saw that tweet. No, I was. it didn't even make the show. I had all this stuff lined up. And uh, you know what? Some stuff just hits the cutting room floor. That's what happens. You, know? you got to make tough decisions sometimes. I understand. You, you, you got to make some tough, tough decisions here. So that was all one one cast, though. That wasn't like over the course of a month. That was all in the same no, hit. I don't know how long he... It's over the course okay. of weeks, maybe okay. months. Okay. I don't know how long it took. Yeah. So, because I obviously we only had the audio medium, and I think I've seen this on Twitter recently, too. But so it, it was not just all in one same weather read. It was over no, the course of number no, no, of broadcasts. No. Yeah. Okay. And he cut it up. That was his own edit job on TikTok. Sure. So uh, I just thought that was funny. But we'll get to uh, name that sound is what we will unveil next time we do a show here, Jimmy, because uh, I've got some good ones over here. But we got to win some money. There's no time for sound. There's only time for cash. Let's do it. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Weird day yesterday. We'll start there. 2-1-1 one, and one is Ooh. where we went. Yeah. The Giants and Reds are suspended at 2-2. That game will take place. So I guess we'll update you on that tomorrow. And then the Yankees and Angels push. They tied 0-0 after 5 in terms of where your betting markets were. For today's bets, give me the Los Angeles Dodgers to win the money line against the Baltimore Orioles. That at plus 105. Also going to take the Boston Red Sox. Lay 1.5 on the run line against the mm. Oakland Athletics. That's minus 120. And then I'll take the Los Angeles Angels to win on the money line over the New York Yankees. 2-1-1 one, one on the week. Eddie, you got anything? Is that a little reverse jinx there? Hopefully, I it's 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 a prayer. It's it's reality. Is what it is. There's um, no it, fantasy there. This is very much real life. And the Reds game that plays tonight, I will take the over ten and a half. I really like this number because of uh, Luke Weaver. It's gone over pretty much every time he starts. How about your Reds not making contact with the baseball though, uh, Eddie? Is that going to be okay for the Don't over? Don't even get me started on David Bell, please. Okay. That's a different topic when I have yeah. more time. Hey, it's all right. Aaron Boone thinks this year's Yankees are like the 2022 Phillies, the 2021 Braves, the 2019 Nationals, and the 2021 Yankees. So, yeah, that's good. Am I crazy for liking the Nationals? They've won four straight against the Cubs. Jamison Tyon goes for the Cubs, who stinks. I mean, the Nationals getting plus 140. Maybe take them on the run line, plus one and a half right there. Might be worth a look. Hey, keep it locked right here on the fan. JMV up next. We'll catch you later.